This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good one. Monday morning, is it? Monday morning to you. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Your coach, your guide on the side. Man, have we got a great show for you. Uh, a little uh, Barack Obama dropping the mic at his last White House Correspondents' Dinner. We're going to uh, go through some of his comedic, uh, I guess, uh, you know, attempts. We'll get into that today. Also going to find out uh, how it looks for Ted Cruz and Donald Trump. They're in the showdown of, uh, really, the, the, the final fight. If Cruz can't make some momentum here and, and take something back, then guess what? It looks like it might be Donald Trump for the GOP. We'll be getting into that as well as taxation. Uh, do you think the rich are paying a fair share? And historically, do you think they have? Well, we've got the guy that's written the book on it. We'll be talking about taxing the rich and uh, the history of fiscal fairness in the United States and in Europe and uh, be reviewing that as well to find out are they really, you know, what is fair, first of all, and what percentage of taxes do are the rich paying? And historically, why? What has driven um, historically a push for progressive taxation on the rich? We'll be talking about that. Every other candidate has been talking about taxes, so why not the Matt Townsend Show? But first, let's get to Katie Jarvis, find out what's going on in the headlines around the country. Katie, what's up? Ted Cruz pulled out a strategic victory at the Arizona Republican Party convention Saturday. He won virtually all of the 28 at-large national delegates and split the 27 delegates selected by congressional districts. The victory was mainly strategic for Cruz because all Arizona delegates are required to vote for Trump on the first national ballot because he won the state's primary. But if a contested convention occurs, most of them will likely flip to Cruz. Anti-capitalist protesters in Seattle were hurling rocks, bricks, and even Molotov cocktails at police as May Day mayhem erupted again following a peaceful march earlier that day. The city unleashed a massive deployment of police officers in riot gear, on foot, on bicycles, on horseback, and in vehicles to control the crowd. Police quickly herded the mob of several hundred protesters out of Seattle's business district using a rolling blockade of bicycles and vans. Along the way, officers doused unruly demonstrators with pepper spray and fired blast balls to control the crowd. By the end of the evening, at least five officers had been injured and at least nine people had been arrested. And Puerto Rico will default on $422 million in debt payments due today. Governor Alejandro Garcia Padilla added that the decision not to pay the debt has been a difficult one and that he would rather not default. But Garcia said Puerto Rico is faced with the lack of liquidity to meet the needs of the creditors and to provide services to the people. He said he had to choose and he made a decision. Government officials spent the weekend trying to negotiate with creditors and some payments have been postponed. Another $700 million is due to creditors in July. And a hearing for Prince's estate is scheduled for today and it will decide his inheritance. Prince's family is headed to a Minnesota courtroom for the first time as they begin the process of sorting out what will happen to the singer's estate. He's leaving an estimated $300 million up for grabs, and he has no known will or trust. Several of Prince's siblings are expected in court for the hearing, and it's expected that if state law is adhered to, Prince's estate will be divided between his sister and his five half-siblings. Wow. That's a lot of moo. Yeah, that's a lot of money. $300 million. 
Man, maybe I maybe I am related to Prince. <laughs> we could find a way. I, this is why you've got to do your genealogy. If you do your genealogy, you may find out you're related to Prince, and then you're going to get a you know couple, maybe twenty, thirty mil. That's sad. It's sad. It's funny. Prince is the guy that nobody was talking about until then they die and then everyone talks about. Typical. We forget about people all the time until yeah. something happens. Sometimes it makes it like makes dying look good because <laughs> people talk about you. Prince, darn it. That's sad. Well, I'm going to – I am related to Prince. Uh, my mom used to always call me Prince, so I'll be going there. Uh, Katie, thanks. And by the way, your final this – is this your final show? Is this your final yes, – this sir. is your final opportunity. Have fun in England. I will, Governor. Governor. Bring back uh, some fish and chips. I don't know how well that'll pack. That's true. Just learn how to make them really great. But skinless fish. All right. All right. Thank you. Katie Jarvis. She's out of here. Out of here. She just dropped the mic. Hey, by the way, dropping the mic seems to be a big thing. President Obama, he did. He done dropped the mic as well. Uh, in the White House Correspondents' Dinner... The president apparently looking for a uh, a new profession. If he if you know he's done, so maybe he should be a comedian. What do you think, Terry? Do you think uh, the president could make it as a comedian? No. Well, somebody could. The guy that's writing his comedy. Sure, there's people on his staff that could help him, but him himself probably not. He um, this kind of shows you a little how slow the. The news is because we got to talk Obama. Um, he had his final White House Correspondents' Dinner, which is where, I don't know, 3,500 people gather um, to celebrate the man that they made fun of, that they Well, to celebrate. Chased. It's kind of him bringing in the media and kind of honoring them. It's yeah, the White yeah, House it's Press his, Organization right, well, right, Dinner. He's right. just like the keynote type person. Yeah, but it's 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 all of it's thirty five hundred, you know, politicos chance to hang out with the president in a loving way, supposedly. But uh, funny, funny jokes were made. In fact, if you're wondering what uh, Obama may do after president after the presidency, it sounds a little bit like Hillary Clinton. You all look great. The end of the republic has never looked better. My eighth and final appearance at this unique event. And I am excited. If this material works well, I'm going to use it at Goldman Sachs next year. Earn me some serious Tubmans. <laughs> Tubmans. Some serious Harriet Tubmans. Um, interesting. Uh he 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 took a swipe at uh, pretty much I think everybody. I don't know that anybody was free from attack uh, by the president. John Kasich. Oh, John Kasich. Yeah, he <laughs> said some candidates didn't rate high enough on yeah. the uh, election. They're, they were polling too to, low uh, to rate to, a joke. So. <laughs> so here's his joke about Bernie Sanders. We've got the bright new face of the Democratic Party here tonight, Mr. Bernie Sanders. Bernie, you look like a million bucks. Or to put it in terms you'll understand, you look like 37,000 donations of $27 each. I mean, that's a fair jab. Yeah. Not not really funny, funny, but just... Just funny in the math thing. It was kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah, he also uh, hit Hillary. Hillary trying to appeal to young voters 
was a little bit like your relative who just signed up for Facebook. Dear America, did you get my poke? Is it appearing on your wall? I'm not sure I'm using this right. Love, Aunt Hillary. <laughs> she that, put out on Twitter that Aunt Hillary approved of that joke. It's, okay, good. So, But that, that almost sounded a little condescending, a little bit. backhanded, like when they were fighting each other yeah. in the race. There's some of that. Uh, Ted Cruz also did not, you know, he, he wasn't left alone either. And then there's Ted Cruz. Ted had a tough week. He went to Indiana. Hoosier country. Stood on a basketball court and called the hoop a basketball ring. What else is in his lexicon? Baseball sticks? Football hats? But sure, I'm the foreign one. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wonder if he said anything about Ted or Trump. Go to uh, 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 clip he, nine. Yeah, so he did. Well, let me conclude tonight on a more serious note. Uh, I want to thank the Washington Press Corps. I want to thank Carol for all that you do. You know, the free press is central to our democracy, and... Nah, I'm just kidding. You know I'm going to talk about Trump. He was going to wrap it up. Yeah, yeah, you can't wrap it up without talking about Trump. Um, But he had to address Trump's foreign credentials, foreign relations credentials. The Republican establishment is incredulous that he's their most likely nominee. Incredulous. Shocking. They say Donald lacks the foreign policy experience to be president. But in fairness, he has spent years meeting with leaders from around the world. Miss Sweden. (laughs) Miss Argentina. Miss Azerbaijan. Yeah. And what on earth, what on earth to do about Guantanamo Bay? And there's one area where Donald's experience could be invaluable, and that's closing Guantanamo. Because Trump knows a thing or two about running waterfront properties into the ground. Hmm. Trump said on Sunday he doesn't know what that joke means since he has very prosperous properties that are on waterfront properties across the world. So. Yeah. It's not the waterfront properties he's driving into the ground. I think it was somewhere in New Jersey. He thought the foreign relations joke was funny. Did he? Yeah. I wonder um, what what is great. Obama didn't just beat up the candidates. He also beat up the press. This was a chance to to, to ding the press a bit on their, their coverage of Trump. I don't want to spend too much time on the Donald. Following your lead, I want to show some restraint. Because I think we can all agree that from the start, he's gotten the appropriate amount of coverage. Befitting the seriousness of his candidacy. (laughs) I hope you all are proud of yourselves. The guy wanted to give his hotel business a boost. And now we're praying that Cleveland makes it through July. It's funny because they didn't laugh as hard at those jokes. Not really. (laughs) He beat him up for, you know, giving him the mic, basically. And then at the end of the whole thing, uh, Obama does his Obama out. Drops the mic. Done. That's cool. He even made a video with John Boehner appearing. That really was supposedly the highlight. It was okay. It was kind of slow moving. Yeah. But he needed somebody's advice that could talk about, you know, retirement. What to do in there. John Boehner. Wandering around the White House. Doing whatever. You know, I don't think uh, President Obama is the only one making jokes. (laughs) Did you hear what Lindsey Graham said about um, Ted Cruz? 
that that perhaps the only person, the only person, uh, he says, I think Lucifer may be the only person Trump can beat in a general election. <laughs> Not wow. Trump. Uh, Cruz. Cruz can beat. Yeah. yeah. What do you think about that? Do you think, uh, I think these politicians ought to stay out of comedy. Yeah. I mean, the president does this. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good. It's fine. It's how he builds relationships with the press. The the awkward part always seems to be the comedian that follows. Yeah, that was interesting. That Larry Wilmore. Larry Wilmore, he's on Comedy Central. Mm-hmm. It's, and um, he dropped the N-word. Well, yeah, but I mean just the rest. I, I watched the whole, it was like 22 minutes. And the whole thing was just sort of awkward chuckles and everyone going, ooh, ooh, you know. And yeah. At some point, it's like you just, you, you got to know your audience and you just can't do comedy despite your audience yeah, at yeah, that yeah. point. But yeah. I, I If you uh, go back on YouTube, you can see uh, Steve Car- – or um, not Steve Carell. Colbert. Stephen Colbert did one a couple mm-hmm. years ago. And he said the only person laughing at that was Antoline Scalia. <laughs> and that, so on the night that Scalia died, he said that he that was kind of the memory he oh, had neat. of Scalia was the only person laughing through his entire set there at the correspondence dinner was the Supreme Court justice who he hit several times in that piece. He thought all the jokes at his expense the ju- yeah. was funny. It's whereas it's, everyone else looks around like, "Oh, should I laugh at this?" Yeah. It's it's interesting too that just who who shows up at this thing. Oh yeah. Cuz it's not just press. No, it's it's Caitlyn Jenner or not Caitlyn Jenner. Um the other Jenner. All the Jenner, yeah. The Jenner daughter. Well, and, I mean, I, I don't know. And then the thing that, weird. that came out of it that's going to probably last for a couple of days because it was a fight. They had a U.S. Institute of Peace Oh, at uh, Foggy Bottom, if you know where that is. That's no. where the CIA headquarters is located. Okay. In, in kind of a, a lower in, area in of D.C. And there's a U.S. Institute of Peace and MSNBC was having a Correspondents Association dinner. Afterwards, a kind of an after party type thing. And a correspondent, Jesse Walters from Fox News, and a guy from the Huffington Post named Ryan Grimm got into a fight. One of them wow. was trying to use a phone and record the other guy and make comments. And they kind of, they call one, one of the guys does a feature that people call dumb guy on the street. Yeah. So he was trying to do that at this, this party. The guy from Fox News didn't like it. So he got into a fight and they started physically throwing punches. Really? Yeah. So, so this here, one of those guys will be on uh, Fox News, what, O'Reilly Factor tonight to uh, further hash that out. But, you know, people got into a fight afterwards. Interesting. As they got a little knockdown so, drag out. It's just an excuse to have a party. Well, it also seems like uh, just another opportunity for the elites to gather. And um, so whether it's the political elites, you know, the media elites – the elites are sucking the air out of the room and apparently not paying enough taxes. Usually. According to the progressives. Democrats keep screaming <laughs> through, uh, through the Democratic um, nomination process, especially Bernie Sanders, that there's just the rich aren't paying enough. Even Donald Trump agreed the rich aren't paying enough. And he is – a member of the rich, right? The elite. So we wanted to talk about taxing the rich. If, if that's the talk and if everybody's pushing on the need to tax the rich, 
we thought we ought to cover it. We ought to figure out what's really going on. Uh, are the rich really paying their fair share? What does fair mean in the first place? So we were going to be talking to uh, Professor um, David Stasevich uh, uh, from New York University um, who wrote the book, Taxing the Rich, A History of Fiscal Fairness in the United States and Europe. When we come back, uh, we'll be picking his brain about um, the fairness of taxes. And uh, it's really, it's, it's a great book and a great, uh, I think, just review of the history of how taxes have gone up and down and, um, and why. What tends to drive the taxing, um, uh, the increased taxes on the rich, and then why they fade away. Stick with us, folks. We'll be uncovering this interesting topic up next right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Ah, you know, never a dull moment, right? It's a Monday morning. How are you? uh, How are you handling it as you're driving back to your, uh, you know, you're you're driving to your workplace. You're sitting there. You've you've cleared your taxes, right? It's it's past April. Do you think you're paying your fair share? Do you feel like the tax code could be any more complicated? Than, than it is. Is there any way that you could actually make it through um, your own tax form? I mean, think of that. Is, is it so complicated that even you – I know people that are, uh, that are accountants. In fact, we just had a tax lady on that was giving us tax advice, uh, the tax – I think they call her the tax lady. And she, she has – she sends her taxes out because they're quite complicated. But she's a lawyer with a degree in tax law. And she still sends hers out to be done. Is it even possible anymore to get your taxes done by yourself? And uh, why does the law have to be so complicated? You know, these are the questions that uh, we seem to face a lot when it comes to the political season and when everybody starts, you know, getting into that mood of, of making sure that everyone's paying their fair share and everyone is, is, um, is doing what they're supposed to be doing. We're trying to get on the author of the book, uh, uh, Kenneth Sheev is his name, or uh, Kenneth Sheev and uh, David Stasevich wrote a book called Taxing the Rich. A History of Fiscal Fairness in the United States and Europe. And uh, he is abroad right now, and we're, we're trying to track down his, uh, his phone. We've got his phone, and we're just trying to cut through and, and get in um, a, a call to him. When we, when we talk about taxes, and you think about it in your own world, do you feel like you pay your fair share? Do you feel like you're uh, using and, – and the, is the reason it's so complicated for you because you are using – Every available tax loophole, every available tax opportunity so that you don't have to pay. You're looking, right, to maximize and, and maximize what you have to – your benefit without – and minimize your, your output. To me, that's just fair, right? If the laws are on the books, then you can use them. But last week, if you remember, we talked about all of these tax shelters – in all of these different uh, locations, and when 
when we think about it, the majority of people using the tax shelters and money off, you know, offshore bank accounts and offshore uh, other shelters, they're using it probably to avoid taxes. Is that fair? Again, notice we keep mentioning the word fair. Well, fair is highly subjective, and I think uh, as we as we get into this subject um, throughout today, we're going to find out that fair for you may not be fair for me, and fair for the rich. Um, one of the arguments that these uh, professors are making in their book um, is the fact that back in the day when there was a disproportionate amount of sacrifice by lower-income people when it comes to war, when it came to going to war, more of the poor were the ones that were on the front lines and were dying. And so they were able – people were able in the 20th century to make um, uh, a really strong argument about why we needed – why the rich needed to pay more taxes. And that argument came down to the fact that the poor – or those that uh, that were middle class and middle income were were more likely to lose their lives in a war, and um, the rich weren't necessarily on the front lines. They weren't out there where people were going to die, and that actually drove up uh, you know the ability to pass tax law because people bought into that argument. One of the things that uh, these Good professors argue in their book, Taxing the Rich, is simply the idea that that's changing a lot because now we are entering a type of war where we don't have to – we don't have a lot of people just standing out on the front line. Now we are able to fly drones. Um, Now we are able to do other types of um, warring that make it so uh, lives are kind of more proportionally spent. So does that mean that the rich don't need to pay taxes and they don't need to pay at a higher percent? I mean these these debates have been going on for years. They've been going on as long as you can think, right? All the way back to the Old Testament have they been making arguments about how much is enough for somebody to pay. In fact, interesting uh, – In the Old Testament, um, the book of Exodus, listen to this. The rich shall not give more and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel when they give an offering unto the Lord to make an atonement for their souls. This concept of taxes has gone on apparently for a very long time or even tithes at that level. Um, So anyway, we'll be getting to that topic uh, in the next uh, few minutes, hopefully, if we can get uh, that call through to Europe for some reason, we're getting um, a lot of uh, – having a lot of difficulty with that. Also, just some other uh, news bits that I wanted to bring up as, as I guess, part of just everyday life. Um, Starbucks is now under fire for putting too much ice in their drinks. A woman has filed a $5 million lawsuit reportedly suing Starbucks because of the amount of ice it puts in customers' drinks. Stacy Pincus accuses the coffee chain of packing almost half of their cold beverages with ice as a means to skimp on serving actual coffee to customers, according to the lawsuit. When it comes to ordering a 24-ounce venti coffee, for example, Pincus claims a customer only receives 14 ounces of actual coffee and ice takes up the remaining 10. The miffed customer further notes that uh, hot Starbucks Starbucks beverages typically cost less than cold ones, even though they contain more coffee because of the lack of ice. 
So she's taking it to court, folks. I mean, how many times have you been to a restaurant where they, you know, they give you too much ice in your drink? You're going through the drive-thru. You pull away. They hand you your, your whatever, your large soda, and your soda weighs about 40 pounds, and it's all ice. This isn't a new trick, Stacy. This is one that they've been doing forever. She's suing, though, the chain uh, for negligent misrepresentation and unjust enrichment. Ooh, do you think she'll win? I don't know. It seems like a battle. Uh, do you want your coffee cold or not? <laughs> what do you want me to do? Do you want your coffee cold or not? Anyway, now, also, here's another interesting little story again. And is it about being elitist? I don't know. I don't know. Malia Obama, daughter, uh, oldest daughter of Michelle and Barack Obama, she's going to Harvard. She scored. She won the lotto. Malia is going to Harvard. And uh, as she is – but she's not just going straightway to Harvard. She, she is going to take a, um, a – I guess they're calling them nowadays a gap year. A gap year is just one year off to go – Travel, I guess, to go see what's going on in the world. And um, I sit there and I think, wow, I mean, that's great. I mean, her dad was at Harvard. I think her mom went to Harvard. So she gets to go to Harvard. (sighs) Is that just a perk? I mean, I'm sure she worked hard. I'm sure her grades were incredible. And her dad's the president. But she's going to Harvard. Now, this gap year... Um, is an interesting thing as well. Even Harvard itself, they're they're saying it's 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 healthy for kids to take a gap year um, so that they have a little break between when they need to actually um, start the hardest studies of their life or uh, or not. The gap year is between high school and college and can be tremendously beneficial to one's growth. Okay, here are ten reasons why. According to a Huffington Post article, 10 reasons why you should take a gap year. So think about it. If you've got your kids graduating from high school, you might want to suggest let's slow down a little bit. Let's slow down. Um, 33% increase, they say, at Harvard um, of the study abroad and and students taking gap years. More and more and more are – are, are getting prepared to take that gap year. And when we think about it, you know, it's, it's gonna, we're going to need some help on that. One reason why you might need to take a gap year, you'll perform better in college. GPAs are better. You'll also realize what you love before you start studying, which might help with your general ed. You also will get adventure in your prime, right? When you're young enough to have the adventure, it'll give you some depth, some insight that might help you write your papers that first year. We'll talk about more. More of the reasons to take a gap year, folks. And it's not just a thing for the elites. We'll, We'll get into that as well. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, um, gap years, we're talking about them. 
you may not even have heard of them. Uh, in my world, they're pretty common um, because of here at Brigham Young University, so many of the students here go uh, and serve LDS missions for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and they get out there and they leave for two years. So that's a pretty big gap. Um, but it's common that we would leave and, and go and then come back and start our schooling. I've always thought it was a great idea because I felt like I went and I did one year of school and then I had a gap two years and then came back and finished school. But for me, it was wonderful because I did. I got to be able to see the world. I was able to live in another country. I lived in Argentina for two years. And I think it deepened me, right? It took me to a deeper level. And so do you think – do you think we should uh, maybe even be formalizing a gap year – for our students. That way they, they come into school, not just with this perspective of just get in and get it done, but instead, let's make sure we know who we are. We know what's going on. And, you know, if you're going to start to accrue debt, you might want to have some insight as to what you want to be when you grow up. And maybe a year between college and uh, high school would be would be quite valuable. The, the, the article um, that we're talking about is 10 reasons you should take a gap year. You'll perform better in college. Uh, many schools report that gap year students have higher GPAs and are more involved on campus um, when they start following, you know, some break from high school. You'll realize more what you want before you start studying. Um, you'll, uh, some of the research on the subject uh, – on the topic of gap years is that people that have taken a gap year uh, have two to three times more um, focus and understanding on what they want to be when they grow up. They, are, they, they kind of have been able to dial it in a bit, which might be smart before they start coursework and you know student loans, tuition bills and have all of that stress. Get some time to figure out who you are and what you like. Also, some ch- a chance to maybe – um, figure out the world. Adve- go get some adventure in your life. Number four, the fourth reason that uh, it's it's good to take a gap year. You'll know um, you'll know what's important in life. You'll have a bigger picture of that. Life's not just about fun, and it's not just about easy. That sometimes you gotta you gotta work. And uh, many times on your gap year, people will go do study abroads. They'll go travel. They'll go see other parts of the world and the country, and um, that might give them some insight that they can bring back to the university as well. You'll be an expert at adapting to new places. One of the big studies that we spend so much time and uh, areas of focus that we spend so much time on with these millennials and uh, those that are going to school is this concept of resiliency. And we need people to learn to adapt. Um, Most people have gone through an educational program or process where it's pretty monotonous and mundane, where you just keep, you know, hitting, hitting the mark, hitting the mark, hitting the mark. Um, But a lot of people haven't learned to to adapt, to be creative, and to figure out other solutions, and especially other solutions on their own. So that gap year could help your student learn how to be more creative. I know. You know, living abroad, I remember when I landed um, in Argentina, I couldn't hardly speak the language. But I had to figure out uh, eventually I, I traveled about eight to nine hours on buses to get to my first area. And it was probably the most humbling experience of my life, not being able to communicate very well in a foreign country, dressed like an LDS missionary and um, – 
It was pretty humbling. Uh, another great reason they say why you should take a gap year between uh, high school and college is so that you have something to talk about. You know, you have an opinion. You've, you've learned something. It'll actually shine up your resume. It looks great to know that you've traveled the country or just simply, you know, gone and gone about working and, and had another, wor- another method or means of employment. It'll clean up and shine up your resume a bit. You'll also be able to pick up the pieces that you may have missed in high school. Like, you know, when you slept through Spanish class. Oh, I wish I hadn't slept through Spanish class. I'm telling you. I wish so badly I had focused when Lloyd Karimas was yelling at me in Spanish class. Because then it certainly would have helped me when I went to Argentina. You'll also, more importantly, I guess, maybe the best reason that uh, you got to take a gap year is just so you have time to think and maybe make some new friends. Heaven knows you might need them. You might need them and especially have some friends that aren't just always tied to your school. Powerful, powerful stuff, folks. So, you know, if it works for Malia, it might work for you as well. And about 33% of students now at Harvard, at least, are taking a gap year. Did you ever take a gap year, Terry? I did not. You went straight into college. Uh, My birthday was late, so I was 17 and walked right into college. Wow. Turned 18 that October. Really? Yeah. Yeah, your birthday was late. Did your parents hold you back? Is that what it was? Or did the school? It was the school year. Yeah. Oh, the school year. I thought the school system held you back. No, no, I wasn't held back. I was an exceptionally astute child. And I impressed many an adult. Oh, really? As I progressed through the education <laughs> systems. If I do say so myself. Not, not to brag. Just not to brag. Stating facts. <laughs> I was seriously impressive. So our guest, we're not going to be covering the tax guest. Uh, we'll try to get him on later. Abu Dhabi. Yeah. Apparently United can't. Arab Emirates. Our phone line, you call it, and there's a you get that 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 you get a notification saying that that it, the wrong phone number or they're busy or something. This one says we cannot call that country. Well, maybe we ought to check the wire because maybe something's happened. Maybe. I mean, I, in fact, I'll look into it right if now. If the State Department puts out a travel advisory, does that affect our phone lines? Probably, because somebody in Abu Dhabi is now not answering the phone. Apparently. So I was able to find an email and uh, sent our apologies for inconveniencing the gentleman. And uh, we'll try to set that up later. Maybe when he's not in on the other side of the planet. Let's get him next time. Let's just get him like when he's in the States. Maybe at his office in New York. Yeah, let's try that. I mean, we ought to be able to call New York. (laughs) Come on. Hey, um, what else? What else do you – did you hear this (laughs) – I found so many crazy stories this weekend. That's, I think, what happens is all the weird stories come out over the weekend. Um, Ted Cruz is not going to admit or not whether he will support Donald Trump if he wins. He's not going to say if he'll support him. Yeah. He, he already had said he would. I watched him do some uh, verbal gymnastics to get around several of those questions yesterday. He, do, he doesn't – I mean, I guess you don't want to say that. You're still running. You still have a viable – well, you have a campaign. I don't know how viable it is. He's, he's banking on the second ballot at the convention. Yeah. He took a, a – he got a bunch of people in Arizona, a bunch of delegates to commit to on the second ballot to go for Cruz. Yeah. Because Trump won the state, 
but Cruz can have the second ballot because it releases all the delegates out on a second ballot. Well, and Cruz also keeps saying there is no way Donald Trump will win it on the first. That's what he There's says. There's no way. He says he can't do it. It's but, impossible. Well, it, but that doesn't make sense because he it looks like there is a way. Yeah, he could just keep winning. Yeah. I mean, he seems to be doing okay in Indiana. And if he takes Indiana, Trump, that is, then Cruz, I guess he's done. And then California is next. And that's, there. you know, there's yeah. a, it's a big state there, big number of delegates to go after. So ah. I, the math, and that was the thing people kept pointing out yesterday, the math doesn't work for you. Mm-hmm. And he kept pushing back saying, we're going to get him in the convention. But the math doesn't. Okay. Yeah, hold on. But the math. And they just, he just kept dismissing that. No, no, no. We're going to. No, he can't, don't. Look he can't at the unite math. the party. Uh, Republicans are coming to my party. This is how it's going to. Okay. Well, stay positive. We'll talk yeah. to you in a week. Be happy. This was an interesting um, a little op-ed on the, in the New York Times that I think could be important that we all evaluate. Um People are trying to reckon, right, this idea that um, there's one of two things maybe going on here. Either Donald Trump is um, more adept and skilled than maybe Hillary Clinton and the Democrats are giving him credit, or perhaps the Republican Party are a bunch of um, delusionals. No. Yeah. Delusionals? So we're going to talk about this. We'll take a break, come back, talk about this uh, New York Times op-ed by Ross Do That um, about that. Is that. So what is it? Either the Republicans just are delusional thinking that Trump can win or the Democrats don't quite get how much trouble they're in. Isn't that weird? So what do you think? What does your gut tell you? Are the Republicans about to nominate a guy that doesn't have a prayer of winning against Hillary Clinton? Or are the Clintons and the the Democrats, are they just flat out underestimating the power of the Trumpster? Stick with us, folks. We're going to review that uh, thought process. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, before uh, the break, I was asking, what do you think? Is uh, is a New York Times article by uh, op-ed, basically, by uh, Ross Do That. And he's, he's just proposing a simple question. Are the Republicans delusional that thinking that by, by, by pushing a nominee like, GO, like GOP candidate Trump, that he can actually beat Hillary Clinton and, you know, the Democratic wall of the blue wall, the big cities, the big states that no one's ever been able to, you know, poke through very easily. Um, and that advantage that the Democrats have, not to mention the fact that a huge percentage of people don't even like Trump, are the GOP as just a group, are they delusional or – are the Democrats underestimating the anger and the pain in the country and the persuasiveness of Donald Trump? 
Ross do that kind of believes, well, it's probably one of one of the other, right? No Republican or Democrat, he says, uh, primary in generations has produced a nominee with anything like Trump's unfavorable ratings or long gener- general election odds. And you would think that the combinations of eight years of Obama and the hated Hillary waiting in the wings would have concentrated voters' minds on that. But apparently, maybe not. Now, he's not saying one way or another, but uh, there's something going on. Do you remember how many people believed that it was going to be Mitt Romney, that Mitt Romney was going to be able to unseed Barack Obama? And they were convinced of it, right? Even the... Even the polls that were being used had convinced everybody that the other polls everyone else was using were wrong. What is the deal with that delusional disorder? And is Trump just another version of that? Is, is, he's not even really the conservative. He's, he's a moderate, right? And yet he's being put out there. And looks like he's going to run the table, right? So what do you think? GOP delusional? Or are the Democrats just underestimating? I personally think it's both. I think the, Dem- the, the GOP, I think, are delusional. And I think the, the Democrats ought not underestimate Donald Trump. Really. He went through 17 people. One of them a Bush, right? He went through Scott Walker like just a, you know, a little sleeve of cookies. He just rifled through them. Think of who he who he's downed: Rubio, Marco Rubio, Chris Christie. You know, one by one, seventeen people, and now he's only got to battle Hillary Clinton. Well, yeah, but his unfavorables are – I don't know. I don't know that I'd be looking – I do. I would never try to even second-guess Donald Trump. So be, beware. Beware, folks. Uh, this is going to turn into, I think, the biggest media crazy fiasco you've ever seen. Hillary Clinton, in fact, is gathering uh, so much money. She's she's you know tightening down the belt to get the money she needs to be able to run against the, the whoever the GOP finally does nominate. But she's gathering so much money, she's actually making it harder for any other candidates on the state level to get any money. This is going to be a fight like you have never seen. Guess we'll see. We'll see who's right. Uh, Are the GOP delusional or was it simply just the Democrats underestimating? Oh, anyway, tomorrow we'll talk more about politics after the uh, and about the primary in Indiana. We'll get to that. Thanks, folks. We'll take a break. We'll be right back with more ideas, more tools, more information to help you live longer and love stronger. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. BYU 
Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, hour number two of the show where we give you uh, real-life solutions to real problems. Or we make up a problem Mm -hmm. and then give you a solution for something that will never happen. Yeah. For example, don't try to call the Middle East. The United Arab Emirates. Apparently, you can't call there from From BYU Studios. From the studio. I'll have to figure that out. I need a list of what countries we cannot call. I mean, that'd be good to know. That'd be helpful. Because then we wouldn't call them. How about that? Then we wouldn't do it. So um, crazy, uh, crazy weekend. I got to, I uh, been edging my lawn. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. Had to, I had to re, I don't know what we call it, revitalize my now, do you have edger. A, do you have an edger or do you have like one of those weed whacker? I, I have a whacker, weed whacker weed, okay. that I, and you flip it over? Because I'm adept, yeah. I've, okay. I, can, I can whack a weed at any angle. I have an edger. Do you? It's an actual built for the process of edging your lawn. Really? Not something you're trying to. Can, can I borrow it? Do you want to come on over and? It's pretty nice. No, why did you buy an edger? I didn't. The guy that lived there before me left it. Does he know? Yeah. He goes, here, you can have this. I'm like, all right, great. And it works great. I go out there and just start chewing through all kinds of sod. and It's it's noisy, so I have to do it in the afternoon on a Saturday. I can't go out at like 8 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Because it sounds like – it honestly kind of sounds like a chainsaw. Yeah. It sounds like a helicopter's blade is hitting the ground. Yeah, and then you start hearing the, the, the little, little tiny motor start torquing itself. And it's, mm-hmm. it's just loud and it's grinding yeah, and it's hitting the, it hits the cement. There's sparks flying. Mm-hmm. It's oh. great. It's great. I love that. Looks like you're doing real work. Very manly. Yeah. People look over and like, wow, look at him. I'd, I would have given anything to have that. Yeah. It's an aspirational moment for the rest of the neighborhood. I What I did is I just was using my weed eater to basically mow my lawn. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen people do that. Because I have a lot of grass growing where it's not supposed to grow. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. We have beds all over our yard because the person that lived there before us, they were, I think, burying people. Okay. And we would just – so now I have all these beds I've got to take care of. Well fertilized. Yeah. Incredible fertilizer. <laughs> hey, um, a little update on the whale uh, that they've been trying to get – they've been trying yes. to get rid of that whale. I saw off some of, of this, yes. Uh, off of the coast in San, San Diego. San Diego, yeah. yeah. Um, they got rid of it, I guess. But the, now they have to go dig down mm. and take all, all the sand, the sand yeah. because there's there were so many fluids lost. He kind of soaked in a little bit. Once yeah. again – you can't delay. No, you took your time and you have a problem. Right. $30,000 problem. So if you're a taxpayer and you live on the coast, you got the minute you see a whale, you got to call, hey, whale carcass removal. Whale carcasses are us. Yeah. yeah. And, and they'll send out a tugboat and they'll tug it out to shore. All I got to do is pull it for about five well. miles. And by the time <laughs> you get wherever you are five miles later – all, you'll just have a rope, you know, following your tugboat. Yeah, because it'll just fall apart. Yeah, or or something will eat it. Right. <laughs> Let's cause a feeding frenzy. There. Um, did you see uh, somewhere? I don't even remember the city. They they had pulled a sawfish. Hmm. It's like a shark with a saw blade on its face. That's useful. And about two or three hundred people gathered around to watch this guy pull in a sawfish. Oh, pretty dangerous. Yeah. I don't know. Seems like. Seems like a lot of work. Yeah. For a fish, you're probably going to toss back anyways. They did. They tossed it right back. But yeah. then everyone cheered. Hugs were given. <laughs> All right. Look what that guy did. And that sawfish just swam away thinking, these guys are freaks. What was that? <laughs> this is these, these humans are weird. So, so weird. So um, 
What do you think? Ted Cruz, Donald Trump, uh, Hillary Clinton. Nobody's talking about Kasich anymore. He is. Well, yeah. He's got to. He, he was speculating over the weekend. He goes, why am I running? Why and, am I still in this race? Was that like rhetorical? No, or? He, I guess. He said it out loud at a, at, a, at a campaign event. All these people sitting around looking at him like, what? And he's like, well, let me tell you why. I'm like, well, okay, don't phrase it that way. It's, it's not like you're having an existential moment <laughs> trying to question, what is my existence right now? Why am I here? Where did I come from? Today we're going to be talking about choosing joy. You got to choose joy. Do you? Yeah. Okay. She's a great lady. <laughs> if you could choose between misery and joy, wouldn't you always just choose joy? Maybe, maybe, maybe if you hit in the middle. Not too high, not no, too low. No. Really? You, you got to choose. It's a choice. Okay. But a lot of us are just kind of habitually choosing the opposite of joy. We're choosing just to be miserable. You don't have to be miserable. Yeah, but what if... What if I live in misery? Okay. Change your viewpoint? Change something. Okay. Ten practices hmm. we're going to talk about to help you choose joy. So when you're stuck, you know, pressed to find any meaning in life, we're going to give you some some opportunities, some possible solutions to, to kind of wiggle your way into a better state of being. We'll talk about that with Deborah Heisen. Heis, Heis, Heis? When, uh, in a few minutes. But um, it's hard. We don't want, I don't want anybody to ever think that it's just all about, you know, just stick your head in the ground and be happy. But life's going to be miserable anyway. You don't want to beat it over the head. You don't want to beat it over the head. So we'll get to that in a few minutes. Hey, um, what do you think about this? Um, Florida man. You may have seen him. He's a Florida man with a tattoo on his head, on his face, I mean, that's, the, that's tattooed the word Florida. You know, if you're going to get a tattoo, I don't know that I'd put a state's name on it. This guy has a, the Florida man with a tattoo of Florida on his face is uh, facing burglary charges. 25-year-old Jonathan Hewitt is jailed without bond. He has a map of Florida tattooed on his uh, left forehead and temple. The Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office said Hewitt is seen on surveillance video prying open the door of a home last month. Officials say he uh, took a gun and two watches. And the homeowners, guess that you won't believe it, but um, guess how guess how they identified him? I'm going to guess the tattoo of Florida on his face. <laughs> yeah, that helped a lot. Okay. Uh, th- they say the video clearly shows Hewitt's tattoo spelling by the word also red rum. He has another tattoo on oh, his neck that is red rum, which means murder backwards, which oh. is, is from The Shining. And I, when I speak, I use red rum a lot. I, not a lot, but that's a joke I use in my speaking. Really? Because when people get mad. Is it a big like, red hit? Rum. Is it a hit? Red rum. They love it. Okay, good. I don't people, know. That, people that love The Shining. Apparently. Love it. <laughs> so now remember this, criminals. Um, just a little coaching of the con. You, If you're going to rob something, if mm. you want to be involved in a crime, mm. and you have a distinctive feature, Ooh. like let's just say you're eight foot five. Okay. It's going to be kind of a giveaway. You're going to stand out. Yeah, you're going to stand out. Difficult to hide, get right? away. If, yeah. 
But if you also have a tattoo of Florida tattooed on your forehead hmm. or, you know, the red rum on your neck, yeah. you might want to cover up. Yeah, maybe a, a mask of some kind. Get a mask, maybe a collared shirt. Something. Yeah. Something to cover. Attempt to do something because you're, you're identifiable. I mean, I don't want to be negative. Because those kind of features would work for you. Right. In the situation that if it came to you and said, did you do this? You're like, well, no, they would recognize me. Look at this on my face. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So you got to just you got to so think this that, through. That's, I think that's the problem with tattoos is that you, you kind of forget you have them. Right. Like, but when you're born eight foot five, you can't forget that because you've had that your whole life. You know, it's always been with you. But if you're that big, you probably ought not buy, you know, try to steal a small car. Now, it would be confusing if you did like a convenience store because as you run out the door, they have the yeah, ruler they, on they, the side. It doesn't go that high. It doesn't high. go to eight five. So they wouldn't really know how tall you were. Well, except you'd hit your head on the thing on the way out. You'd probably duck. Or would you? See, and, and, and by ducking, you would lower your height and confuse them even more. Yeah, totally. Have you noticed that Ben's been really quiet today? He has. He's not feeling well. Yeah. Did you know why? He ate that pizza in the back of his fridge. I told him not to Stomach eat. Stomach flu, yeah. yeah. No, what's he got? You got food poisoning. Yeah. It crystallized. Um, talk about how you made ice cream last night. I did not make ice cream last night. Well, where'd because you get the food poisoning? Ice cream has healing properties that would have prevented this. So um, somebody poisoned you. Yes. At a little church party. Mm-hmm. Potlucks. I got to tell you. I would ask you what you ate, but it would make you sick to yeah. talk about it. I do have a bucket next to me if I need he, it. He may not know. I have an idea. Oh, okay. Yeah. Was it that raw fish? Did you eat sushi? Homemade sushi? Homemade sushi? At the church party. <laughs> yeah, they bought the salmon from Costco. <laughs> no, it was... You want to talk about it? No, it's fine. Okay, good. You want to make everyone bad. uncomfortable. Yeah, that would be bad. You got to be, gotta be, be careful what, what random things you just sort of grab and consume. Totally. I mean, I think that's why your body rejects it so violently. Could be. It didn't want it. To begin with. To begin with. Yeah. I usually look at food and go, Is that, does that look appetizing? No. And then move on. But do you not have a place where you eat regularly that still makes you a little sick? No. You, you just like it that much. No, nothing I eat ever makes – if it makes me sick, I usually not avoid sick, it. but just a little like – Cautious? Ugh, not really. There, there are some places, you know, there's, you know, some of the food trucks, you see those, that's kind of a trend type thing yeah. that people are all, all excited about. Those kind of scare me a little bit because yeah, it's just a truck. Well, and plus anything that they could get away in. Yeah. A quick getaway after like, they poison everybody. No, hurry. Eat, eat, eat. Give me your money. Give me your money. And then they're gone. I have read so many comic books where that exact plot has happened. Yeah. They poison people, take off. And then the Joker's laughing as he drives down the road. Ha, ha, ha. Those people don't know what I just did. And then the whole town's sick. I do have to say, though, I'm taking a course for food safety manager certification. Okay. And so this is really good motivation to – This is a good lesson. Yeah, Yeah. to keep my food safe. This is a really good lesson for you. I'm glad you're learning this. Yeah. I'm glad you got the flu. I mean, I don't mean to be – and that sounds horrible. But I'm glad that glad you, you're sick. I'm glad you're sick because you're taking the class. Yeah. And so I've been able to determine if it's listeria or E. coli. Wow. Well, really? So it's, I was 
laying in bed last night thinking about all that. This seems a lot like listeria. <laughs> no, listeria only comes from dairy, and since I didn't have ice cream. Mm. Okay. <laughs> what if it was mixed into something? Is that the story, and you're sticking to it? I get it. <clears throat> I get it. Um, speaking of food, did you hear about this lady whose van was totaled by by a rat? Hmm. Her van totaled by one rat. How's that? The rat lived in the car. The rat ate the wiring of her car. Ah. Uh-huh. The rat ate the little crumbs underneath the seat, but shredded her car. Hmm. Ate the insulation on a lot of her wiring underneath her little car seat. Ate basically, you know, a third of the seat. So don't eat in your car. Well, yeah, but even that, apparently there's like soy in the wiring of well, your... Should you be more aware of like cleaning your car? Maybe you would discover some sort of vermin yeah. living in your vehicle? Is that, that the issue? That, that is kind of the issue, except what totaled the car apparently was the wiring. Well, yeah, it ate through the wiring, but wouldn't you find well, this only, animal or, or well, at least evidence? If you're looking, well, no, because the wiring's hidden. Well, I... So you would have noticed the evidence of like your car seat shredding. But wouldn't there be droppings? It's an animal. Well, right. Yeah. Yeah. There would be droppings. Hmm. So if you vacuum, you might notice that. See, my dad, there was a cat in our uh, car engine one morning when I was, really? my dad was taking me to school in junior high. The cat didn't make it. Though the cat happened to pass? Well, the cat was in the engine. My dad turned the car on. Oh, the cat was probably by the fan. Little, little rough running to start that morning, but then, the, then it just kicked right into gear. Jeez. <laughs> and then I was like, "What was that?" And he goes, "Uh oh." Goes out oh, and looks, boy. and he goes, "Oh boy." Well, that's the Jones's cat. <laughs> he opened the trash can, disposed oh. of it, moved on. In fact, I don't know that we've mentioned this. Have we mentioned the eagle has landed? No, but we have to take time on that. Okay. We'll save that. You can do that at, uh, what, 45, 50 after. We found some incredible video we'll be posting. We will post the story of this lady's van, too. But be careful. Now what this lady says is every day she goes and – I mean every week she goes and looks at the wiring in her van because if your wiring is disappearing, it's because the rodents are eating – I guess there's part of the wiring that's made out of soy because it's more earth-friendly – it's also more, you know, rat friendly. So she went to take her car in to get fixed, and when they were changing out, uh, like her bumper or something, um, the rat ran away. They spent days chasing that thing around the shop. Boom! Crazy, crazy folks. Totaled her car. They had to get rid of it. Gone or, you know, basic information. Watch out for the rats. Check your wiring. And a little bit later, we'll be talking about why you need to put your cat indoors. It's not always safe if there's eagles flying amongst us. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we'll be talking about 10 practices for choosing joy. This is the Matt Townsend Show, here to help you see the good in the world. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, with the rising interest in positive psychology and mindful living, it's becoming clear, clearer that living a joyful life is a choice. And uh, some practices for choosing joyful living range from gratitude to mindfulness. Our guest today, Deborah Heiss, uh, is the editor and director of um, Li- or, sorry, Live Happy, which is a magazine, a great website, by the way, um, if you go online livehappy.com and just wonderful podcasts there tools uh, that can help you there but also um, Deborah Heiss is the author of the book Live Happy 10 Practices for Choosing Joy and she uh, joins us now live to kind of help us work through our own kind of lack of joy Um, Deborah Heiss welcome to the Matt Townsend Show thank you very much Matt pleasure to be here great to have you talk to us about um the choice, because I, it seems like a lot of people aren't into choosing joy naturally. Um, I mean, it seems like it would be a natural thing to do, but we get really caught up in how miserable we can be sometimes and how miserable our lives are. Yeah, well, at Live Happy, one of our our main mission really is to get people to understand they can choose to be happier, that it's not something that's pre-programmed for you. It's not a uh, not you're not purely a victim in your environment. You can actually do things to increase your overall happiness and your overall life satisfaction, you know, improve your well-being. And these are things that you can do every day, and most people don't know it. Um, they, don't, they don't understand that uh, their mental health is as much in their control as their physical health is to a certain, you know, to a yeah. certain extent. How did you get into this, this topic of live happy? Why did, of all the things you could have focused your life on, why this topic? Working at uh, Success Magazine, uh, the current version of Success, I was the founding editor-in-chief of that. And Success Magazine is really a personal development magazine with a small business wrapper on it. And while we were working there, um, we came across – while I was working there, I came across this positive psychology movement, which is really a whole bunch of researchers and, um, you know, psychologists that were out there trying to figure out how to use psychology to make well people thrive give well people the ability to thrive rather than focusing on um, making sick people well, which is what, you know, psychology had really focused on up until that point. And it was really fascinating because I came across all this science and this scientific evidence that showed that you could do things to improve your mental health, your overall well-being, and improve your chance of thriving. Um, and that, to me, really hit a chord because so much of personal development is really just a, a bunch of people who are, you know, show, telling you, I did this and so this happened, or I did that and so this happened. You got to set goals. You got But here was the science backing up why some of that stuff works, and also um, really focusing on living the life you want rather than living the life, you know, success. Um, you know, a life of monetary success or a life of business success, but really living a life where you could sit down and go, you know what, I have a happy life. And and, and that really struck a chord with me. It's who I am as a person. And um, Live Happy was born out of that. Hmm. I mean, isn't that basic stuff, right? Yet the, the positive psychologist basically had to buck the trend because historically we were always looking at the abnormal psychological behavior instead of what healthy people were doing. What What are some of the traits that you've found um, and some of the 10 practices for choosing joy? Well, you know, a, a couple of them that I, I mean, there, there's 10, obviously, but yeah. a couple of them that speak really strongly to me are um, gratitude, which is really, we, we overlook, as, as, as human beings, we tend to look at what's next. 
you know, we reach that goal and it feels good for about 30 seconds and then we go, well, what's next? What am I going to do next? Because it wears off. Um, and we're, we're that way about everything in our lives. It's not, we, we, we quit focusing on what we have and we start focusing on what we don't have. Mm. So for me, the practice of gratitude really is taking the time every day to recognize the good things that you have in life. Um, and it's really important uh, to do that because that's what gives you a sense of satisfaction, right? Yeah. But, but it's also what really, to me, gratitude leads you to be a kinder, um, more loving person as well because you're grateful for what you're, you're grateful. Um, so there's simple practices like writing down three things you're grateful for every day, be specific, make them unique. You can't just write down my kids every single day. But if you do that for, uh, for a month, your, your mindset changes. You start looking at what you have rather than looking at what you're missing. Mm. And for me, that, that's, that's a really uh, powerful one. Uh, another one that's really powerful for me is uh, mindfulness. And this was something that I really had to work on. It's the act of being present. You know, a lot of people hear mindfulness and they think meditation, and that's certainly part of it. But, um, you know, I had the pleasure of hearing Tom Rath speak last summer. Yeah. And, and, and he's a fantastic guy. Yeah, he's been on the show two or three times. Don't you love him? I do. I do. Yeah. He's a fantastic guy. But he said this thing that really resonated with me. He said, the, perhaps over the next 10 years, the single biggest challenge we may face as individuals is simply paying attention to the person sitting across from us. Oh, so true. <laughs> we are so distracted yeah. by everything. It's nuts. And, you know, a practice of mindfulness isn't just meditation. It's a practice of being present. And you know, I have three small children. I have, I have a job with, with meetings. I have things that I want to do in life, vacations I want to take. And it's really easy to get distracted by everything. But, you know, when I go to my son's hockey game and watch him play hockey, I put my phone away and I watch him play hockey because that's a moment of connection between the two of us. Huh. And being present in that is very different than just being there. Um, and the same is true for a business meeting. You know, put your phone on a table in a business meeting and, and people think that you're distracted. doesn't matter whether it's off or not. Oh, it's <laughs> you know, so just, true. Just, just the act of being present. So for me, those are two of the practices that I've really started to employ in my own life that have made a difference for me. And it's... It's, it really is um, – it's almost like – and I, I guess this is appropriate because technology is driving us into this state of you know, maybe more efficient, what's next, kind of constantly on mentality. So the idea that mindfulness would, would appear um, now is maybe the antidote to, to some of the tech push. But the other thing that you brought up about gratitude is so powerful because if I'm constantly just in the go mode to get the next thing, I will never find peace because I never enjoy the 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 win. I never enjoy what I do have. Right. And and here and here's the crazy thing. Most people don't understand it's not just about the way you feel, it's actually about your health. People who are grateful experience better sleep, have better immunity, and lower blood pressure mm. than, than less, less grateful counterparts if, if, you know, normalized for everything else. I mean, it's about your health as well as for everything, as well as, uh, you know, how you feel. Yeah, yeah, because we do. We throw it out to be that this is just an emotional benefit. But physiologically, you're going you're gonna to be better, feel healthier, sleep better, have, I mean, joy. How about that? Just just be able to watch your kid play hockey and not have to, you know, 
answered and not about work. Right, exactly. The other, uh, you know, the other thing, um, you know, when we talk about happiness and you talk about health, I mean, the, the evidence is getting to the point where it's overwhelming. Um, you know, they did a study of seven-year-olds that had a positive outlook in yeah. life versus seven-year-olds who didn't. Thirty years later, the seven-year-olds that had a positive attitude at seven experienced less physical, um, you know, physical uh, damage, less illness. They were healthier. You know, wow. pos- you know, so a positive attitude at the age of seven can dictate how healthy you are at the age of 40. Are, are we born with that? Or, I mean, I, I know we could probably train it up, teach it up uh, with our children, which is probably we ought to, you know, you know, inoculate them for, from all of the other problems. Do you, are, or are some people just born more grateful? Well, you know, the... The thing of it is, happiness has a genetic component, and uh, there's this um, survey that uh, Sonia Lubomirsky did a bunch of years ago that people point at as, as, as statistics, and it's not quite statistics. Uh, when I talked to her, she made that really clear. But generally, 50% of how happy you are is dictated by your genetics. Some of us just have higher set points for happiness or for, you know, for positive attitude, just like many of us have higher set points for athletic ability. You know, I, I, could, I could try and do professional golf for my whole life. I'd never make it. I'm just not that coordinated. Yeah. Darn it. <laughs> but Darn it. But <laughs> I, if, I, if I practice golf every day, I get better. Right. So if only 50% of it is dictated by you know, your set point, you can still get better. You can still be happier. You can still have a more positive attitude. You can still have better relationships than you have right now. Because the other 50%... Um, about 10% of its environment. Most people think it's more. Most people think that they're victims of their environment. And certainly if you live in a war zone, you know, if you live in Syria right now, yes, the environment probably has a much stronger um, place, you know, effect on your happiness. But for those of us who live here, only about 10% of its environment, which means the other 40% is made up of choices that we make, things that we choose to do or not do every day. Hmm. That's why I love bringing it up. The more we talk about it, the more, I mean, I guess we're going to end up pushing it into the front of our minds, hopefully do something about it. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Deborah Heiss, uh, the author of um, the book, Live Happy, 10 Practices for Choosing Joy, and uh, also the website, livehappy.com. We'll come right back and continue this discussion and get into uh, the science behind the wisdom of meaning, which is one of her chapters in the book. Stick with us, folks, Uh, doing what we can to help you live happy right here on The Matt Townsend Show. to the Matt Townsend Show. On uh, the show with us right now is Deborah Heiss. She is the um, author of the book uh, Live Happy, also the website by the same name, livehappy.com. And uh, the book is Live Happy, 10 Practices for Choosing Joy. Today she's teaching us about um, some of those practices where this is a major movement. And if, if you're sitting there thinking, wow, there's a lot of people talking about mindfulness and gratitude lately. One of the reasons is, um, she mentioned it earlier, there's a, a movement in, in, a, in a form of psychology called positive psychology. 
And the basic premise is simply when we focus on what people that are healthy are doing, um, it tends to beget more value than when we focus on what people that are unhappy are doing. And uh, the tendency historically of psychology was to focus more on what was not working instead of what was working. And so now after 20 or how many years, 30 plus years of uh, positive psychology research, holy cow, now we're getting a lot of tools and ideas and solutions for what works for healthy people. And uh, Deborah, you've you've put a lot of these together in your book, Live Happy. Um, Talk to us. And first of all, welcome back. We appreciate you being here. Thank you. My, my pleasure, really. And talk to us about um, this idea. One of your chapters is about the science behind the wisdom of meaning. Yeah. Meaning, I think, is what we're all after. Uh, feeling that our life matters. I mean, it, you know, <laughs> one, of the great, uh, one of the great things about meaning is that this is something that everybody understands. They want to feel like they're part of something larger than themselves. Right. They want to feel like their life has meaning. But the reality is that it literally may be a matter of life and death for you if you're older. I know that seems a bit extreme. Wow, scary. But in in one study of elderly people, those who felt their lives were rich in meaning had a 57% less hazard of dying than those who felt their lives had no meaning. In other words, just having having the feeling that you have meaning keeps you healthier, keeps you engaged. And, And connected to that, really connected to meaning, is... Is, the, is connection. You know, we have to feel, you know, there are two different chapters in the book. One is on connection. We're talking about connection with other people. And the other is on meaning. But to me, they're so intertwined, they're almost inseparable. Hmm. I love that. I mean, there's some research that's come out of BYU that, uh, you know, if you, yeah, if you are disconnected, if you feel like you don't have a social group, I mean, it's like smoking, I can't remember the number, like three or four packs of cigarettes a month. Right. Exactly. To your health. Fact, yeah, there's a there's a longitudinal study that was done for on, on 300 men. So this is a long term study, and it turns out that um, being connected to other people may be the only thing that matters. Having meaningful relationships, because mm. even if they had money, health, and good careers, they weren't happy unless they had strong relationships with other people. Wow. Um, it, it really is. If you take that out, if you take out strong connection, you don't you don't have the happiness. You don't have the reason, the drive for getting up every day. You don't have the why. And if you don't have the why, you don't have the meaning. Um, I think a lot of people think uh, meaning and purpose are the same thing, but a lot of people have purpose. Right. Um, it's, you know, my purpose is to raise good children if you're, if, you're, if you're a stay-at-home mom. Well, that's your purpose, but it's the meaning you derive from that, the why you feel it's important to do that. That really is what brings you your happiness and brings you your joy. Do you get so if if I have um, if I have something I love doing or I have a purpose of improving relationships for people uh, that I come in contact with? You're saying it's it's it might be more important than just knowing what you want to do. It's more important to get down to the actual why behind it. Yes. Absolutely. And for, for people in, you know, my job, I have the best job in the world. You know, yeah. in my day, just day looking at this stuff about how to, how to make people thrive. I mean, who, who, and learning about it and being able to apply it to my own life. Who wouldn't want this job? But let's say your job is something else. Maybe your job is um, answering the phone and being a customer service agent. Why you do that job? What's the meaning behind it? What's the, you know, your purpose is maybe to make money for your family, which is great. But if you can find meaning in what you're doing, 
you're going to be much happier um, in that job that you spend a third of your week at, or you know, and half your more than half your waking hours at. For example, if you feel that by delivering excellent customer service, you're answering the phone, you're helping people, and you feel good because you're actually helping people, so you've got a meaning there then you're much more likely to enjoy your job. You're much more likely to be happier. Hmm. Or maybe, maybe you build something with your hands. And if you can picture the person who purchases that piece of furniture that you build and the joy that they're going to get having it in their home, you feel like you're improving families. It's really figuring out what is the meaning behind how you're spending your time. That is like that, – that could probably help anybody that is maybe stuck in a job where they – they know it's they know it's important what they do. Like I'm thinking of like maybe a medical doctor. They know what it's important and it makes a good income, but they're not they've kind of lost their joy. They've lost their energy. Maybe what they could do is start digging deeper into figuring out what's what is it that makes you feel joy in this job and then get back to that. Yeah, there's a great there's there's the book is filled with not only with the science by the way, it's filled with stories of people who are putting these things into practice. Yeah. And, and there's this uh, great story about a, a gentleman um, named Alistair Mook, who was a folk singer, and he sang in adult bars all the time. And that's what he did, and he, and he was lucky, and he was fortunate to be able to play music and make a living at it. But he had twin daughters, and one of them got cancer. And um, she's fine. She recovered. She mm. was five when she got cancer. But they spent a lot of time in, hotel, uh, in, in hospital rooms. And so what he ended up doing was starting to write music with his daughter. And they wrote music, and they put it on a CD, and then that CD is now distributed to other families who have children with cancer, and they're songs about really dealing with what's going on. There's a great song called When I'm Bald, you know, uh, and it's got a great video with it. But he will tell you that his purpose was to play music, but he didn't find his meaning and why he was doing it until he could put his music to something larger. And now he plays in front of kids more than in front of adults and enjoys it. Still mm. plays music, still, yeah. still does what he was put on earth to do, still has his purpose. But his meaning really is um, attached to helping these families go through what his family went through and, and putting perspective in that and giving those children a voice to their emotions. Yeah. I mean, again, um, it's almost like it appeared, right? They... They were already in it, starting to do it, not maybe fully understanding why, but and and then they can then they can figure out why. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of us find our purpose easier than our meaning. Mm-hmm. You know, I've I've been in magazines and and publishing for a long time, and I've enjoyed it. But um, you know, this was the fir- this is the first job I've personally had where I feel like okay, this is really me. This is what this is what I'm here to do. It's still publishing, still editing, but now it's doing something that I understand how it connects to what the changes I want to make in the world. Right. It's, uh, it also says and almost shows us that creativity is, is a critical part of this. You've got you've to almost be a, a, a creative or just a creator of your own happiness and life instead of just kind of a bystander. Right. Um, we have a chapter on creativity in the book as well. And, you know, the big thing about creativity is most people don't think of themselves as creative. Uh, but we were all kids once, and kids are phenomenally creative, right? Okay, I've got a four-year-old. She, she can talk to herself and create worlds all day, so, you know, right. out, of, out of two blocks and, 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 and one toy, you know, whatever is going on. We all have creativity. We forget to exercise it. 
And it is really important that we exercise our creativity, not only because it boosts our happiness, but because it actually um, enhances our ability to think outside the box. It enhances our ability to really think about why we're doing something, to be creative problem solvers. And, you know, when we are creative, um, our brain releases five neurochemicals that enhance our performance and improve our moods. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, a con- you know, there's a connection that we make when we're creative, when we, you know, we spend too much time being adults. There's a, a, a point where when we're creative, we really do enhance our lives. And we forget that because we've got too much that we're supposed to do. We forget to take time to do the things that really are different. Right. It's, um, it, it really is, I guess, in the end, this is your life, right? This is everybody has a life to live, and you can you can do as much with it as or as little with it as you want, regardless of how much you actually have. Absolutely. I mean, it, and here's the thing: we all tend to be caught up, at least in this country, we all tend to be caught up in trying to have what everybody else tells us is important. One of the great things about happiness is that's not what it's about. It's not. It's about finding out what's meaningful to you and right. having that. Um, it's not about you know uh, lots of money. It's not about the best job in the world. You know, it. You you may be perfectly happy to 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 work at a grocery store and go home and paint, or work at a grocery store because you know that it feeds your kids, and then you have great picnics on the weekends or you go hiking. What is it that you want out of life that's important um, to you? Not to the world at large, because we are we are all different. We are all created differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to assume that we all want the same thing is is uh, is kind of the way the media has painted us. But it's not actually true. No, and it's um, and, and I mean even just looking through the the magazines on the rack, there's so many things that you might see that might be tempting and interesting to you, but also don't necessarily resonate with your inner core, right? With this inner you that so it's this weird balance of getting the real you out into the real world right and, and finding that congruence in your own life because ultimately for me um happiness is is congruence that you're authentic that mm. you are an authentic you and um the rest of us aren't very good at being other people you know yeah. we, <laughs> we're only good at being ourselves so who who are we authentically that's and so I, true I want to mention a couple things yeah. that I think are really important that are in the book. Okay. Uh, the first one is resilience. Um, and this is really important because this has to do with overcoming failure. Many people don't understand that they can build their resilience, that they can become more resilient to, to negative things. We all have bad things that happen to us. Um, but building your resilience or building your grit, it's, it's difficult, but it's something that many people um, don't focus on. Right. Uh, but it, it, you know, some of the best stories in the book, some of the best stories in life were about people who've overcome. You really can um, build your resilience through strong social connections, building a positive attitude, and helping others. Actually helping others overcome things um, helps you build your own resilience. Yeah. But, and also remembering that you, you overcame something to get where you are, right? We've all had challenges. Reflecting on where you've been victorious in the past allows you to move forward um, with a more po- optimistic outlook. But the other one that um, I would be really remiss if I overlooked is the power of giving back. 
And we're not talking about, you know, giving a little bit of money here or doing this. We're actually talking about if we can engage in giving something to someone else, which could be as simple as a compliment. You know, you're standing in line with somebody and you go, hey, those are great shoes. That might be the nicest thing they've heard all day. Right. Or you, buy, or you get a coworker a cup of coffee while you're at the coffee machine. These small acts of kindness actually give us a rush of endorphins equivalent to what happens when we're the recipient of a gift. It's, it's, it's strange, but we actually get more out of giving. I, I think everybody's always heard that platitude. It's better to give than to receive. Right. Well, the science shows us it is better to give than it is to receive. There's a better high get giving than getting. Absolutely, without yeah. a doubt. And it's simple stuff, smiling at strangers. I mean, this is not difficult. This is something, if we can all remember to do this as often as possible during the day, um, we really do kind of create a positive atmosphere. We create positivity around us because we're building positive connections with people. Yeah. And we talked about that earlier and how important that is. But even positive connections with someone who gets your coffee in the morning or, or who, you know, uh, whatever that is, uh, or, or, you know, holds the door open for you. Those are all positive connections, and all of that fills up your day with positivity and will enable you to, to, to share that more and live a happier life in general. Mm. Deborah, it's great. Uh... I mean, really, it, again, I think what's now happening is science is able to now validate a lot of these things we've always believed. But this is more than just platitudes, right? This is health and this is true happiness. Deborah Heiss is her name. Go to the website, livehappy.com. Also look up the book, Live Happy, 10 Practices for Choosing Joy. Folks, just imagine if you just lived two of the practices, just two It'll change your life, folks. It's um, This isn't just blowing smoke. Life is filled with uh, opportunities to um, improve your own happiness and find joy. Life is good, um, even if you're not always feeling that. Stick with us, folks. We'll take a break. Come back, wrap up the second hour of the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, um, there's a many a way to create a happy life. Cockroaches may not be one of them. No. But sometimes when there's, a, see, a nasty breakup, there's there's cathartic ways to deal with those emotions. Yeah. And uh, the Bronx Zoo is offering a, a little little help for oh, those good, situations. Good, good, good. For $10, you can name a cockroach at the zoo after your ex. Excellent. <laughs> Which is sure to kill off any lingering positive associations you may have with that individual. Right. Way to get closure. So it says, as of knowing that there's a roach out there with your previous partner's name on it isn't enough, the zoo will also send you a digital certificate to prove that you've named one of the creepy crawlies after someone you dislike. They say hate, but that's kind of a Do, does the um Does the person, does your ex know that you've named? Well, you could send them the notification. I mean, it might be cute to have a picture of it that you could send. The, the New York Zoo originally offered this unique service as a Valentine's Day gift. That's romantic. But the concept gained more popularity after vengeful singles started using the zoo animals' naming service to assign their ex's names to cockroaches. Wow. And because they have tens of thousands of them, they're not going to run out of cockroaches. There is no end. Do they Do they actually mark a cockroach for you? Like, I'm not sure. It's, that'd it, be great. It, it's like the whole, we'll, we'll name a star after yeah, you. Yeah. 
But hoax. I mean, a cockroach, if I could have her like a little number put on the back of the cockroach and then my ex could go see the roach that reminds me. Right. And maybe yeah. have like a uh, just a, a list at the side of the cage. Yeah. So as you go up to view into the little area where the cockroaches are, oh, number four. Oh, there's Brian. Brian's running around. <laughs> <laughs> Look at Brian, the little roach. You know, it's, it's, I guess that is just a sad commentary on where we've come, that now even the zoos are saying, hey, we could make money on It says the funds raised by the zoo's cockroach naming program will be donated to the Wildlife Conservation Society. That's great. Plus, it's all in good fun. And it beats, you know, stalking them. Yes. Or having just crazy, vengeful feelings. But you you just need to have a break and go name the cockroach you've said your piece and move on. But you know how many cockroaches Ben would have named by now. I mean, that's a, I mean, that's like a roach motel. Yeah. Tens of thousands. It, it truly is. <laughs> ben can't talk. He's trying to think what to say. Wait a second. Ben's just trying to breathe. That was a good burn. A good burn. Thank you very much. Good burn. Do you feel the burn? Ben's got the stomach flu, so um, right now he's a really easy target. Yeah. We aren't even going to take a shot at him. He can't even fight back. It's actually no. sad for us to mention yeah. Ben. Yeah, I hate to even look at him. He's just, <laughs> he's breathing through his mouth trying to stay focused i guess awkward we're gonna take a break give ben a chance to do what ben's got to do and we'll come back folks more uh insight more information dr leonard Sachs will be joining us talking to us about why girls tend to have more anxiety than boys i have a feeling it has something to do with the boys creating anxiety i don't know maybe not probably more chemistry Stick with us, folks, helping you uh, figure out how to live on this crazy big ball of mud we call Earth. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show, third hour of the program. This is the show where we give you the information, the tools you need to make it through this crazy thing we call life. Nobody was given a, uh, you know, an owner's manual. When you were born, you had to figure it out. So we're going to give you the latest research and tools, hopefully, to make your life a little bit easier. Today, we will be talking um, with... uh, some researchers about why girls tend to have more anxiety than boys. Now, it's not just – don't just think, oh, see, they're just stereotyping. Nope. Uh, statistically, girls have more anxiety than boys. And uh, we're going to get into the, the chemistry behind it with Dr. Leonard Sachs. He'll be joining us. He's an MD and a PhD, and he'll be walking us through all of that. Plus, of course, uh, we'll be speaking later with BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's going on in uh, upon their show that'll be at the top of the hour. So, life is good. Recap the NFL draft. Yes. See what happened. Did any Cougars? Well, I, did any BYU Cougars? I ought to say. Did any BYU Cougars get uh, you know drafted? Yeah. They did. It's pretty interesting. Um, also, news. We're going to go to the news with Jameson today. Jameson, take it away. Thanks, Matt. 
The number two official for the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department turned in his resignation today. The resignation comes after a public relations nightmare following emails released by the Los Angeles Times. The emails were sent while Tom Angel was assistant chief of police for the Burbank Police Department. The correspondence was obtained under the state's Open Records Act and reportedly included derogatory comments towards Muslims, blacks, Latinos, and women. The Supreme Court declined to hear an appeal of Native American inmates wanting to keep their hair long in Alabama prisons. The inmates' appeal argued that keeping their hair long is a core part of Native American religious tradition. The decision not to hear the case upholds an appeals court ruling that the state's prison system can require male inmates to keep their hair short. Alabama prison officials believe long hair to be a hygiene risk as well as useful in concealing weapons and contraband. Puerto Ricans are leaving the island at record rates. Over the last year, Puerto Rico lost nearly 2% of its population to the mainland. On average, 230 people leave the island each day. An official stated that it was purely economic reasons fueling this departure, with Puerto Rico now in its 10th year of recession. The news comes the same day as Puerto Rico's announcement that it will default on a $422 million payment due to its creditors by the end of today. And Ringling Brothers Elephants have performed their last show. The decision to end the shows follows increased public opposition and failed lawsuits. In 2011, the company that owns the Ringling Brothers Circus agreed to pay a fine of $270,000 for alleged violations of the Animal Welfare Act. The company did not admit wrongdoing but promised to implement new training for all personnel who handle animals. There are currently 13 elephants who travel with the circus, and each one of them will be transferred to a Florida conservation center. And those are the updates. Back to you, Matt. Thank you, Jameson. Appreciate it. Uh, you know, tons of news going on. I mean, it's funny. I get more stories over the weekend and Fridays. What Friday, everybody dumps every story they've got, Yeah, it seems like, in the news. Because I picked up a bunch of just crazy, crazy human stories. Part of the uh, – well – not not really the crazy. You'll you'll see it a lot coming out of uh, government. Yeah, they got where get... they they drop some of the bigger stories that they don't really want to address. Some late of the, Friday night. You, you'll see some of the pardons if the president decides to pardon somebody. Those come out late Friday, so that by the time Monday rolls around, everyone's kind of what? forgotten that they happened. And, yeah, yeah. So we well, have... you're not going to forget uh, President Obama doing the mic drop. Booyah! Drop the mic at uh, the um, White House Correspondents' Dinner. I mean, that was interesting. He pretty much just teased everybody. He has good writers. He's got great writers. The comedians that stand up there and try to <laughs> follow his act, they need to, I don't know. Yeah. It just seems like a tough room, and all these guys are, are, are against half the room, and well, the other half of the room is uncomfortable with the fact that that's funny, but they don't want to laugh too hard. And Like Larry Wilmore, is that yeah. his name? He He got up after the president, but it's a tough room because – Everybody in the room's your competitor. Well, that too. I mean, that's just ugly. Yeah. Even if you're funny, you've got to. I mean, it's only good for the president usually. It's fun to watch because it's really awkward to have the comedian. He just starts calling out people by name as they're sitting there in the room and, and just <laughs> really hitting them with some heavy Squirming. stuff. It's pretty fun. Crazy stuff. What else is going on in the news? What um, else do you see? So you're you're if you have an iPhone, I, I know do. I know there's other phones beyond the iPhone that have the. Uh, thumbprint recognition uh-huh. software to you press it down on the the home button it'll unlock your phone and that comes with a kind of a, a bio reading of your fingerprint and that's your personal key to unlock your phone right well law enforcement in some places some states will have you 
uh, they'll compel you to use your thumb to unlock the phone. So when you get pulled over, they'll say, oh, open your phone, unlock your phone. Yeah. Other places will, will compel you to use your passcode. Some places, the laws are different. Like they, they can't compel the passcode, but they can compel the, 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 the thumbprint because they also get your thumbprints when they well, What they are my rights? You. If they say open your phone, I don't. Do I need to open my phone? You have to look into it. It's like saying breathe, the, breathe into this device. The Supreme Court had a case on that that's, that seemed to maybe settle it, but then some states have passed some other laws to try to get around it. So there's there's different rules going on. Yeah. But it says the authority to do this appears to be based around the blend of legal decisions. The Supreme Court has ruled that police can search your phone if they have a warrant and that they can order you to produce fingerprints without a judge's approval. However, it's not certain that you can combine the two. As the LA Times explains, there is a dispute as to whether or not using your fingerprint to unlock your phone is a violation of the Constitution's Fifth Amendment, which protects against self-incrimination. While a fingerprint isn't the same as testifying, unlocking your phone could be treated that way. Even uh, with precedent from a 20, uh, 2014 Virginia case, which determined that fingerprints are okay but passcodes aren't, Working in the Fed's favor, there are no guarantees that police can order fingerprint access going forward. Mm. So just so everyone knows, it's still confusing. It's, But it's an issue. I mean it's an issue that – I wonder if these Apple uh, designers, when they design, hey, let's just use your thumb code. I mean I wonder if – If they thought of these Did they think through all issues. of these legal issues later? I'm not sure. Uh, speaking of technology creating problems, apparently you've, we've talked about this forever. Researchers say there are serious security problems in Samsung's smart things. Yes. So all of these now everything can be smart. I, my my favorite one is the uh, the door lock for your front door. Yeah, you, you can. can set that up on a Wi-Fi. It'll connect to your phone as you walk towards the door. It'll recognize your phone and unlock for you. Boink. Awesome. Well, what could go wrong with that? Somebody could somehow get into your system and unlock your door. <laughs> now they can break the code on your app and malicious app, uh, and they can have other apps that open up, unlock your doors, right. set home, reset your home access codes, falsely set off smoke alarms, uh, put we, your home security system on vacation mode. We've heard cases where uh, Wi-Fi connected baby monitors are being used, oh, and people man. are just watching live feeds of. You know, your kid and they're sleeping in their bed or something. And yeah, just weird things that happen that way that because we're connecting things to the internet, there's not a security layer on yeah. those things. And so it kind of leaves them exposed. It seems like there's some things you just want to be uh, a late adopter on. Yes. And I would say maybe anything smart. Like we have a, a baby monitor at my house. Yeah. It's connected from the monitor to the camera. There's no Wi-Fi. It's Brilliant. just a, a that's smart. And I, I don't know how. I don't know if, if it's foolproof, but it's not connected to the internet right now. Right. And it won't have. I don't. And I won't do that because it's not needed. I don't need to look at my phone middle of the day and see if my kid's running around his room or something. <laughs> I mean, that's really the the yeah. thing is, so you can be anywhere and look and see right. your kid. Did uh, Did you see? Um, I know you did. Did you see though the eagle has landed? Um, yes, in That's fact, what I'm naming it. I hadn't seen that video until just a few minutes ago. It's heaven. A little disturbing. There. So if you have a cat, folks, keep him inside, because there's a there's video that we have posted now on our Twitter feed, which is a and it's showing a nest. So it's just one of those cameras watching an eagle's nest in Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania, a beautiful. Nest of 
The great symbol of America. Bald eagles. The bald eagle with talons. A male, female, and some chicks. Some chicks. It's a family. It's an eagle family. Beautiful. And, you know, you got to feed your chicks. So while you're watching the video, it looks like, I don't know if that was the male. I don't know which eagle is bigger, the male or the female. Not sure. But the bigger one was watching the nest and the smaller eagle brought back dinner. Which is fascinating. So you gather your kids around. You can almost see schools all over the country watching these, watching these videos of the eagles feeding their, their, their baby, their little birdlings. What do they call them? They're called eagle? chicklets. They're little chicklets. I love chicklets. <laughs> are, they, are they sold on the streets of Mexico? No, they're not. Okay. To cruise ships. Um, they bring – this eagle brings and just lays down gently into the nest – a cat. A house cat. A house cat. A dead house cat, apparently. That's what it said. Like the, I don't know if yeah. that made it better. No. Because did that mean the eagle killed it? And yeah. And then yeah, they then I they imagine. feed then they, they feed the they feed the family of birds on this house cat. They serve the cat family style. So there are fam- there are there are cute little, you know, first graders all over the country. Yeah. Especially in Pennsylvania, because they probably knew about that camera, that are now traumatized. Because they just saw cute little kitty fed to the eagles. Yeah. Nature. Well, That's nature. If it was like a raccoon or if it was yeah. a forest animal, everyone would be okay with yeah, it. But because vermin. it was a pet, right. then it turns into a, a different situation as people are kind of like, oh, what's going on? I'm like, well, it's, it's eating an animal. That's yeah. what it's doing. If all of a sudden you're missing an animal. <laughs> keep your pets indoors. Keep your pets inside. But see, that's how nature works. So as beautiful as nature is, you know. Something has to keep nature fed. <laughs> and that might be, you know. That might be you. Now, I know you spent a lot of money at the vet for that cat. Mr. Buttons or something. <laughs> Where's Mr. <laughs> Buttons? Have you seen Mr. Buttons? I saw a bird carrying it away. Ah, oh, it's tragic for any family that has to now go, you know. Find a new cat. Identify the body. Um so that video will be up on our feed, as will the rat that ate and totaled a, a woman's van. Yeah. She didn't the, – the rat, let's be clear, didn't eat the metal. It just chewed up the wiring and the yeah. seats because and, uh, apparently they're made of things that are edible. Yeah. I don't know why they keep doing that. Yeah. I mean I know a lot of uh, like uh, Air Force airplanes have wiring issues too where rats are constantly yeah. – they like have people that are that are their job is just to go kill rats on airplanes. So you know they go land in some other country, pick up some rats, and by the time they get back, half their wiring's gone. <laughs> Got to watch out. You need your wiring to. Got to clean up the crumbs. Um, and hey, just another little update for you. Uh, not an update, but we we want to bring you the latest and the greatest information that you need to know. Um, but folks, uh, newsflash. You should be giving your toilet a true deep cleaning at least once per week. Hmm. And if you fail to give your toilet a, cl- a deep cleaning once a week, you're probably setting yourself up for bigger problems. What qualifies as a deep clean? Uh, a deep clean would include um, some bleach. Okay. And some just other – and maybe a scrub-a-dub-dub with a brush. Hmm. Get her clean. What about – We are dirty. We're dirty. What about some um, – what do I use? You probably 
It's like Lysol toilet bowl cleanser. Yeah, that's probably perfect. And then I take a rag and I mm-hmm. scrub it all out. And you got to do it all until it until you hear that bling. Until it squeaks. When you yeah, when your toilet squeaks. Okay. Take those rubber gloves off, and if you hear. So I might be okay. Mm-hmm. All right, because I'm the one that does all that. Do you? Yeah. Interesting. Why is that interesting that I? Are clean? you for hire? No, I just yeah, you know, I draw the line at my house. Yeah. Yeah, you can do your families. Okay, so I get that all. Okay, I'm, I don't need to actually pull out the bleach, maybe a sandblaster. Yeah. I'm okay just with what I'm doing. And you know what? Hmm? Uh, it seems like I'm sure your wife thanks you for that. Yes. Just as you would thank her for anything she's doing. Like cooking dinner, yes. Um, back to Obama for one second. Okay. Did you hear what he thanked Joe Biden for? I mean, of all the things. What? He could thank Joe Biden for. Not shooting the, someone in the face? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Joe Biden, for not shooting anybody in the face. <laughs> I, I, I was like scrolling through my mind, like because I watched Isn't the whole that thing. I'm like, oh yeah, you, you made a yeah. That was it. Thanks, Joe, for not shooting anybody in the face. Don't shoot anybody uh, kind in of the a face. tribute, I guess, to uh, Vice President Cheney. Yeah, who did shoot somebody in the face with shot? Gun. It was a friend, buckshot. though. It was buckshot. It was okay. It was hardly his face. Anybody I mean, was... else would have probably been arrested, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Good to be Vice President. Interesting stuff, folks. We'll take a break, come back, and we're going to be talking about uh, why your daughter may have anxiety and why girls tend to have more anxiety than boys. Dr. Leonard Sachs will be joining us. Stick with us, folks. Uh, Helping you live longer, love stronger. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, have you noticed that your daughter tends to be a high-functioning overachiever in all that she does while your son just sits back and maybe he's more chill playing video games? Does your daughter seem to stress over the tiniest details while your son doesn't seem to care at all? This is a pretty common trend, and under your daughter's achievements, trophies, and awards, She may have a lot of anxiety bottled up as well. Why is it that girls tend to have more anxiety than our boys? Dr. Leonard Sachs, a psychologist and a practicing family physician, rejoins us on the show today today to talk about um, and help us recognize where our daughter's anxiety may be coming from. Dr. Leonard Sachs. Well, Sachs, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks for inviting me. Great to have you. Why? Okay, first of all, I guess statistically, girls do have more anxiety than boys. That's right, and that's, that's a really uh, robust finding, meaning it's a big, big effect. Because, uh, you know, I was looking at some of the comments people wrote on my article, and they said, well, that's kind of a stereotype. Well, whether you want to call it a stereotype or not, it's a true statement that girls in the United States are much more likely to be anxious hmm. compared with boys from the same home, from the same demographic. Why? What is it about? Well, I think there's a bunch of factors that uh, contribute. Uh, it's always been the case that girls have been a little more likely to be anxious than boys. But that gap has widened very dramatically, uh, really in the last 10 years. And I think one factor playing into that is social media and the way that kids use social media. And again, we got a lot of good research on this, which I cite. Uh, so, for example, you look at kids posting photos on Instagram or, or uh, sharing photos on Snapchat. 
boys are typically sharing photos showing something they're doing, or they go to the football game and take a, a, a picture of the game or the pretty cheerleader at the game. Uh, girls go to the same football game, and they're taking photos of themselves at the games. They're mm. much more likely to take selfies, and then they go home and Photoshop those selfies. Now, if you don't like Jacob's photo of the pretty cheerleader, he doesn't care. But if you don't like Emily's photo of Emily, she's going to take it more seriously. So girls tend to be much more invested in their photos, tend to be much more invested in their social media sites, and that really puts girls at risk. And this, again, leads right to the job of parents. You need to govern and guide what your kids are doing online. You need to know what they're doing with their phones, uh, and, and most parents don't. And I tell, kids, I tell parents, look, if you're going to let your kid have a phone, you've got to put some software on it, like My Mobile Watchdog or NetNanny Mobile, so that every photo they take goes immediately to your phone and your laptop, and you tell them, I will see every photo you take. If you don't want me to see it, don't take it. Uh, this is the job of the parent. It's not reasonable to put this burden on a 14-year-old girl when her friends say, hey, I'll take pictures of you, you take pictures of me, taking our clothes off. What's the girl supposed to say? Oh, I don't want to do that. Right. And my modesty. You have to allow her to say, I can't do that because my parents have this app on my phone. Hmm. Make it easy for your daughter to do the right thing. Is it um, – because looks and appearance are also – it's such a big, bigger deal, it almost seems like, for our young women than our young men. Well, and indeed, social media is more toxic to girls than it is to boys because uh, with girls, it's all about who's hot and who's cute and who looks good in the bikini. And again, it's the whole point of my, my book, The Collapse of Parenting, that parents need to be in charge. Uh, and again, we didn't have Instagram even 10 years ago. So right. parents today are not sure how to deal with this. And uh, Emily's upstairs in her bedroom with the door closed with her cell phone, and the parents have no idea what's going on. It's the parents' job to govern, as I said, what kids are doing and to give kids an excuse to do the right thing. Because mm. really, you, I, I just look at my – I have six kids, and I, I look at all of the – Especially, I guess, uh, fourteen and under, um, the, the, their their practices are so interesting in in how uh, like how good all the girls look in every one of their pictures versus the boys. And a lot of the guys, I sit there and I wonder why. What are you bringing to the equation other than you're an eleven year old or twelve year old jock that might be able to throw a ball? But I also look at it too, and I think, man, that guy's lucky that he doesn't have to worry about so much about his image. Well, the boys are much more invested in the video games. Yeah. And if you're an 11-year-old or a 14-year-old boy in the United States, uh, one way you can raise your status in the eyes of the other boys is to be all, the first guy to finish all the missions in Grand Theft Auto, <laughs> which incidentally is a, is a terrible game uh, where right is wrong and wrong is right. And we have good research showing that boys who play these games, it changes them over time. They become more selfish, less honest, less patient, and the effect is large. Uh, and again, most parents don't know this research. That's the point of my book, Boys Adrift, is to share that research with parents. Uh, because again, parents need to govern and guide what boys are doing on their video games. Because uh, again, when, when your uh, son's friend says, hey, come on over and, uh, and we'll play Grand Theft Auto, uh, is the is the 12-year-old boy supposed to say, well, no, researchers have found that playing that <laughs> game can cause boys to be more selfish. You have to allow them to say, hey, my parents won't allow me to. Or the parents need to step in and say, I'm sorry, my son's not allowed to go to your house because we don't allow him to play those games. Yeah.
And so it really is parenting um, where we, we've got to pick up our game on a variety of levels. Is yeah. it is it true – I've heard the old adage, anxious uh, anxious moms make anxious daughters. Is that true? My short answer is no. Uh, the longer answer is, of course, it's, there's some truth to that. Uh, you cannot teach a virtue which you yourself do not possess. Uh, but there's been an explosion in anxiety among American girls in the last 20 years. Uh, so if it were the case that uh, uh, moms who are relaxed have daughters who are relaxed, we wouldn't see this. Uh, there's something going on in American culture that is causing uh, kids, and especially girls, to become, to become more anxious, and you cannot blame this on their parents' genetics. Uh, again, that's a major focus of my book, The Collapse of Parenting. Why is it the case that kids today, especially girls, are so much more likely to be anxious compared with kids in the same demographic, in the same neighborhood 20 years ago? Right. Uh, you can't blame this on the parents' genetics. Or even just chemistry, right? We try to blame a lot of anxiety on chemistry. We do. Uh, but that cannot explain the difference between 2003 and 2016. Right. Interesting. And in fact, let's do this. Let's take a break. Come back. We're speaking with Dr. Leonard Sachs. You can find out more about him on his website, leonardsachs.com. And he's talking about a variety of books. And those um, those can all be found. The Collapse of Parenting, Girls on the, on the Edge, Boys Adrift, Why Gender Matters, all wonderful resources for you as a parent. We'll take a break. Uh, this interview with Dr. Uh, Leonard Sachs. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On air with us right now, Dr. Leonard Sachs. He's a psychologist and practicing family physician, also the author of many books. Um, on uh, His latest is The Collapse of Parenting, Girls on the Edge, Boys Adrift, wonderful resources for all of us. And today we're talking about why girls tend to have more anxiety than the boys do and why sometimes we just kind of call, we think our boys are just lazier. Um, so, uh, Dr. Sachs, welcome back to the program with us. Thank you. Is it uh, so we can kind of address the boys are lazier idea? Are they lazier? Well, when you look at who are the high achievers in American schools, who who's the valedictorian, who's editing the school newspaper or the yearbook, on uh, uh, all those parameters and on many others, there's now a large and growing gender gap with boys falling farther and farther behind girls. And I'm actually old enough to remember 40 years ago when it was the other way around, mm. and there was a lot of concern about girls. Uh, you know, I graduated from Shaker Heights High School in, in northern Ohio, and I was the editor of the school newspaper, and the editor before me was a boy, and the editor before him was a boy, and on and on and on. And there was a lot of concern in the 1970s. You know, why aren't girls editing the school newspaper? Why are girls never the valedictorian? We flipped completely in the other direction. Uh, but there's, uh, and, and, you know, some people will say, okay, so what's the problem? Uh, so why is that a problem that things have swung the other way? Uh, there's a bunch of reasons why it's a problem. One is what's called educational assortative mating, uh, which is a fancy way of saying that uh, 
when a, if a girl's going to marry, she wants to marry a man who has equal or greater educational attainment. And this is not true for boys. Mm. A boy who's earned a four-year degree is very happy to marry a girl who hasn't earned a four-year degree if she has other qualifications. Right. Pretty, for example. Uh, but that's not true for girls. If a girl has earned a four-year degree, she's looking for a man who has at least achieved the same as she has. And there are no longer enough good men to go around. You look at who earned a four-year degree last year in the United States, women outnumbered men by nearly three to two. Who earned a master's degree in the United States last year, women outnumbered men by more than three to two. And so there's a dramatic drop in the birth rate among uh, North America, among American uh, white people who speak English at home. Mm. Now, the overall birth rate has not dropped as much because uh, the United States welcomes immigrants and uh, immigrants who don't speak English at home don't have this weird virus of lazy boys uh, who are not keeping up with their sisters. But white people who speak English at home, it's now very common uh, to find families where the girl's working harder and earning better grades than her brother. And is that, again, I guess that is part of the culture, right? It's the... It's, it's well, it's not just... It's very specific to the contemporary American culture. Yeah, right. uh, Fifty years ago, Sam Cooke had a number one hit song in this country. He sang, don't know much about history. Mm-hmm. He sang, now, I don't claim to be an A student, but I'm trying to be, because maybe by being an A student, baby, I could win your love for me. He goes on to mention French geometry and trigonometry as subjects in which he's going to try to work harder to earn an A instead of a B, because he believes that by being an A student, he will raise his status in the eyes of the pretty girl. That was American culture Hmm. one or two generations back. It is not American culture for English speakers today. You cannot imagine Akon, Eminem, 50 Cent, Justin Bieber, or Justin Timberlake (laughs) singing a song about how they're going to work harder to get an A instead of a B in in trigonometry. It would be a joke. Interesting. Uh, The culture has changed in ways that have... Uh, disengaged boys from academic achievement. And and is the culture, because, I mean, culture has to be, you know, um, introduced. I mean, it is cultural, except it's also seems like the culture is now raising our children more than we are. Parents uh, need yes. to in, uh, maybe insert back themselves back in. The collapse of parenting, which is that parents need to step in, turn off the device, and prioritize the family. The, the family has to be more important than the video game, than Instagram, than Snapchat. Wow. And I guess uh, it's, it doesn't serve us to call you know, girls just anxious and guys just lazy. Um, it's, it, we have to address the real issues underneath all yeah, of this. There's nothing hardwired about any of this. Right. Again, in American culture it. two generations ago, the, the, uh, the cultural staple then was the giggly, carefree teenage girl in shows like Gidget starring Sally Field. Right. Uh, because, in fact, anxious girls were rare in the United States two generations ago. They are common today. There's nothing hardwired about this. It's cultural. <clears throat> and again, parents have step back, step away. They're not sure what to do. And the point of my book, The Collapse of Parenting, is to empower those parents to show them how to make family the first priority to create a different culture in the household that's a healthier culture than what kids find on the Internet or social media. What are some quick solutions, just things that you can throw out? I got uh, a bunch. Yeah, give give us some that that parents (laughs) can do for anxiety and for the lazy factor. No cell phones in the bedroom. No cell phones in the bedroom. Turn off the device. 
put it in the charger, which stays in the parents' bedroom. No devices at the dinner table. Uh, listen to your child. Talk to your child. No earbuds, no headsets in the car. When you're in the car, that's time for uh, you to listen to your child, and your child should be listening to you, not to Justin Bieber. When you make a vacation, your child is not allowed to, to bring her best friend along, or otherwise it's her and her friend going up on the chairlift, and all you've done is to subsidize a very expensive play date. <laughs> Vacations are for family and kids to reconnect. No best friends on the vacation. That's such a good point. How many times? I mean, part of it is just I want my kids to be busy. I don't want to have to babysit them. But that's the point. You're supposed to no, parent them. I don't them. think that's fair to the parents I know. What most parents are saying is, I want my kids to be happy. Right. And they say that they'll be happier if they bring along their best friend. And what I tell those parents is you need to educate desire. Because uh, if you do not educate desire, what, causes kid, what gives kids pleasure is going to end up being cotton candy, uh, video games, and social media. But that's not real happiness. You need to educate desire so that kids develop a longing for something higher and deeper than cotton candy and video games. They're not born knowing that. It's the job of the parent to educate desire, among other things. That's, again, the, my book, The Collapse of Parenting. Yeah. Is it um, – do, do we need to – I mean, I guess we've determined or we, it seems like we've expected someone else to do a lot of this work for us as Well, parents. again, so many parents are unsure of their authority that they now often look to the school uh, to do this job. And this is, cannot be the job of the school. Uh, it's, it's too big a burden. Uh, it is primarily the, the job of the parent to instruct their child in right and wrong, uh, to educate desire, as I said. And I hear from so many school leaders who say that the parents are expecting us to teach the kid you know, what it means to be a lady and a gentleman, and they're, they're upset that the, that the, uh, the kids are behaving uh, inappropriately and rudely, uh, but then they won't support us. Uh, when we try to discipline kids, they swoop in like attorneys, right. uh, mounting a defense. Uh, <laughs> so parent, it's the job, first and foremost, of the parents to teach right and wrong uh, and to work with the school, to support the school in... Uh, building virtue and character. Well, it's great advice. Again, Dr. Leonard Sachs, thanks for being on the show and your great work there. Um, appreciate your time. Thanks again for inviting me. You bet. Go check out his website, leonardsachs.com, leonardsachs.com, and, uh, and, and those books as well. Uh, four wonderful ones, um, Boys Adrift, Girls on the Edge, Why Gender Matters, The Collapse of Parenting, Wonderful resources there. We'll take a break, folks. Come back. Visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's going to be on their show at the top of the hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Wrapping it up. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, uh, to the Matt Townsend Show. We are going to throw it down to our good buddies down there at BYU Sports Nation, clearing their throats and everything. Uh, Spencer and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. Got to get ready for the Matt Townsend hit, man. You guys, you guys all ready? You, well, I did, just had some yogurt and fruit. Did you clear so. it out there? I didn't know that was going to be heard on, the, fruit. heard on national radio, <laughs> but hey, you're welcome, everyone. <laughs> hey, um, how, how was your weekend, gentlemen? Let's see. 
fast. You, you weren't ready for that one either, were you? Just fast. Was it just fast? <laughs> really fast. Was it too fast? Well, you know. Too fast, too furious. Ooh. Now that's a movie. Do you guys um do you guys have cats? No. My wife is deathly allergic to pets. Oh. All pets? What's that? Tell her to try a reptile. <laughs> Why? What what happened? So if you go look at our Twitter feed right now, you will be able to see a beautiful nest of bald eagles. And uh, there's one bald eagle that has made a um, – I don't know. It's upset a lot of pet owners because this nest is showing a cute little bald eagle family and mama bald eagle brings dinner to feed the, the cute little chicks and bada boom, bada bing, lays down a cat – a dead yeah, baby. house cat. Yeah, just just a nice <laughs> and it's and it shocked a bunch of kids and they're traumatized now. And is it's it so bad that a bald eagle you know What is it supposed to do? I can fly higher than any attacked another mammal. <laughs> I can eat a cat for dinner if I want to. See, nobody complains when they throw a rat down. Oh, yeah. Come on. But you throw down a kitty cat. And was everyone's it a kitty mad. Or was it a cat? It was a cat. It was a full blown cat. Look, the cat lived a nice long life. Yeah, and it and it gave itself for something yes. higher. The quite circle literally. of life. Cue Elton John, please. The circle of life. Oh, we don't have circle of life on, but I do have. I love technology. <laughs> Was that it close? Doesn't exactly relate to yeah, uh, bald no, eagle. Not even close. Cat, but I'm you know, watching the video right now. Are you? Do you want to do a little play-by-play? So, yeah, there's a – wait, they blurred out the cat? Did, did they? Yeah, and the one out. I Something's saw – Something's blurred out. Yeah, the one I saw, it wasn't blurred out. To people, the cat represents a pet, but to the eagles and to other raptors, the cat is a way to sustain the eaglets. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't to know that. Other, to the other yeah, raptors? Eaglets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is raptor a group of animals? Yeah, that... it is. It's a, it's a clawed raptor-like – bird it's an eagle our national animal is yeah. a raptor yeah. of and, sorts and this is amazing symbolically it kills house cats <laughs> the house cats being anyone who opposes freedom <laughs> hey did you guys did you hear about the lady that's suing starbucks no what is this well, the this si- is this because... the seinfeld uh, mcdonald's no this thing? is for real this is again legit a lady is suing starbucks because they put too much ice in their um Ice coffee. That is annoying, but uh, I don't sue over being annoyed. Ooh, I'd sue a lot. You, I mean, you sue you sue for a lot of reasons, but never for being annoyed. But never for being annoyed. Yeah, she thinks they put too much ice in the drink. Yeah, that's that's a legitimate concern. You but, know, I, I would like a third or a fourth ice, not half. Yeah, two thirds. It right? should be part of the the everyday request now. With how specific our society is, like people say, "What would you like to drink?" And then not the, the follow up question should be, "How much ice would you like in that?" Yes. How many cubes of ice would you like, sir? She's suing for negligent like? misrepresentation and unjust enrichment. Unjust enrichment. This is just somebody trying every, to get rich quick. This is Every pathetic. Sunday. It's pathetic. Unjust enrichment. Unjust enrichment. Every Sunday? Yeah. Why every Sunday? Oh. There, I did not expect to be enriched at, to this level. <laughs> it does not seem fair that I was this enriched. <laughs> yeah, I do not. At church. I wanted a certain level of enrichment, not this much. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think this is an age old issue. I mean, how many times did you 
you know, get fewer fries than you thought you'd get, you know? Yeah, should we sue McDonald's for that? Yeah, come on. When does this stop? When does it stop? Sorry. Dumb. Dumb. Done. <laughs> Dumb. By the way, she buys a 24-ounce venti coffee and only gets 14 ounces of coffee. It's like it's like a— Is that every time or is this one time? Like she's, a bag of chips. She's done a study three times. There right? was 60% air. <laughs> I would like 60% chips. Why does Starbucks as a corporation have to suffer for the, I don't know— the inadequacies of that one the, specific the establishment. enrichment. Because that person ice? obviously was not trained on the ice machine. We have a nice ice machine. Do you really building, think that she way. has a shot at winning? No. No, there's no way. But they'll but settle. But still compete. They always settle, right? They'll settle and she'll, she'll get, you know, 20 free ventis. Yeah, what does she get? Like free coffee for a year? Yeah. You know, in but the end? after legal right. fees. Right, right. Yeah. Hey, um... Did you guys any any news anything anything big Matt, in sports? Today is a big big show. I don't know what we've told you about the previous shows, but this one's big. <laughs> big being the operative word. Yeah, including a big guest, Bronson Kafusi, oh. newest uh, member of the Baltimore Ravens. Wow, in studio. He's Huge. in studio. Really? He's a big dude. Big dude. New big draft. New millionaire. What's he gonna buy us? Oh man, maybe he'll bring you something great. We've known him for eight almost years, ten, ten almost years? ten years, ten years. Yeah. Uh, since he was just a little, not little, six foot seven, two hundred fifty pound <laughs> freshman, you raised uh, him from a pup, <laughs> from an so eaglet. He'll, he'll join us in studio. Mike Littlewood of the baseball team. They were down four nothing in the ninth Saturday. They scored five runs and won that game. Cool, cool. He'll deliver the drama in studio. And Jalen oh. Ray as assistant coach for the men's volleyball team. They're going to head out uh, to Penn State this week and play for a national championship. And I'm going to be going there as well. And we'll broadcast those matches. If they play two, at least Thursday at eight Eastern on BYU Radio. Mm. So you can listen to the national semifinal. Oh. That is uh, that's some news from us. That is that is going to be a great show. I think that is the biggest show you've it's ever the had. Biggest show this week so far. It's easily the biggest show this week yeah. so far. Yeah, Pro- and probably last week. Yeah. Well, especially if we're just talking weight. Yeah. Yeah. Pure, like pure weight. Pure weight of in studio guests. Yeah. yeah. Do you guys still weigh your guests? Do we, we weigh them? We stopped doing that. It yeah. got uncomfortable. Well, I seem like offensive. Sorry, yeah, that's kind of rude. Yeah. Yeah, we don't weigh ours either. We do do we do take a tape measure to all of them. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know. Get wingspan. Mm-hmm. Yep. We want to see their reach. Yeah. Hey, um, social reach. Exactly. Sounds like a great show, gents. Um, have a good one. Remember who you are. and uh, Remember the promise. And remember the promise. Yeah. I don't even remember the promise. It's the season for courage. Okay, okay. I still don't care. Wherever you are. Stand up a little taller. Yeah. And peace be unto everyone. This day and always. And forever. Young. Wow. We can play this all day. You're good at this. Jeremy is very, very good on his toes with stuff like that. I didn't even know we were doing it. And then all of a sudden I realized we're playing it a game. It just happens. Yeah. I was about to try to do one there, but I couldn't come up with happens. Um, Okay. Uh, Have a great show, guys. Tomorrow we'll do this game again. Okay. Sounds good. Peace, love, and harmony. Woo! Peace out, yo. Good stuff. He is fast on his toes. Jerome Jordan. By the way, uh, those that are keeping score, you probably have realized that um, Ben is not talking, has not talked for about an hour. Why is that, Terry? Man is sick. That man is sick. I think man might be 
that, giving him too much credit. That young adult male there you go. is sick. He's got the stomach flu. No, he, what's he got? He's got food poisoning. Food poisoning. He brought it on himself. Yeah. That's what you get for making ice cream. In you the don't eat though. the sushi at the potluck. You <laughs> skip the raw fish. He had, a little, uh, he had a little party yesterday at his church gathering where a bunch of singles bring food potluck style. And uh, somebody walks away with the... It is a Russian roulette sort of concept. Yeah. Yeah, totally. You could go down with the wrong dish that served, and he apparently was one that was caught. Apparently, he's the one that got the one bullet. Musical chairs fits into that sort of uh, idea. Listeria. Listeria. I think that's what we're calling it. Is that the disease that got him? That's the one he was talking about because he has a uh, a milk-centered future. Yes, which is with his ice cream company. Which is a future that many, 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 many people don't really want to have. Right. Uh, we got to tell you this one. So, how does an SUV fleeing the police get inside a U.S. Navy base? You ask. Tell us how. Great question. Nobody knows, <laughs> but it did, and it snuck in. And guess what? It took out a sixty million dollar top of the line fighter jet. Oops. Oops. That uh, question is now worrying Naval Station uh, Naval Station Lemoore outside of Fresno, California. They're trying to figure out how the Jeep Grand Cherokee racing away from the chips California Highway Patrol, um, you know, got into the Navy installation and then crashed into the tail section of an F.A. 18 Super Hornet. It could happen to anyone. Holy cow. An investigation was underway on how the vehicle got past the armed security at one of the entry points to the base and then, uh, you know, just ran them right in, right into the the jet. That's going to leave a scar. Maybe the jet jumped out right in front of them. I don't think it works that way. Oh. I don't think it works that way. Hey, also, just a little coaching moment for you, coaching the con. If you happen to be trying to steal a hoverboard hmm. – from a store, um, let me just suggest don't try to then use the hoverboard to get away. Right. They move rather slow. They're pretty slow. They're only 10 miles an hour. Yeah. So, you know, um, a drug suspect attempted to flee from Florida police atop uh, his hoverboard, but he was captured after abandoning his two-wheeled getaway gadget following a short chase when a uniformed uh, cop um, approached this guy, Jerome Dennis, 20, who was at a known drug residence. The suspect attempted to flee on his hoverboard and then on foot before being apprehended. So they go 10 miles an hour. He was probably, I'm going to bet, inebriated. Usually in these cases, you could just add that to most of them. But, you know, again, but yes, probably. We, we like to coach the con so that so that they don't make the same mistakes over and over and over. Um Instead, if you're going to flee, don't flee on a hoverboard. But you know, in his mind, it made sense. Oh, yeah. In his head, he's like, I'm out of here. I hit this hoverboard. No, you know why he took the hoverboard is because it's a potentially explosive device. Well, there's that. You can cover your escape. So he still, yeah, he wanted to to have this explosive ending. And then uh, we'll see how it, maybe he could lose the cops that way. Hey, as you know, we like to end the show with a hero story. And today's hero story Check this out. Pretty cool. College students start free lawn care service for the elderly. An Alabama man's mission to give back to his community is gaining a lot of attention after a photo he shared on Facebook went viral last weekend. Rodney Smith Jr. is a student at Alabama A&M University in Huntsville. 
If he's not in class studying, you'll see him out and about doing yard work for others. And what he has started in his free time is he cuts grass for um, at the homes of elderly people, disabled or single-parent mothers. He's created a GoFundMe page, and he is trying to start a program, Raising Men Lawn Service, Lawn Care Service is the name of the organization. And basically, they go out, and for free, they cut uh, the lawn for elderly, for and they, he gets young men from the community to go help him. How neat is that? He sees the need. These boys need uh, something to be doing and to be le- earning some money and a pathway to uh, to a healthier society. So they go out and cut it for free. He's trying to raise money and uh, get enough attention that he can go, you know, grow this thing and start uh, helping even more boys and more seniors with their lawns. Super cool. He's the hero of the day, Rodney Smith Jr. Now. We're going to wrap the show up, folks. That's it. At the top of the hour, BYU Sports Nation will be back here tomorrow with more ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world. Until tomorrow, take care of each other and uh, make it a great one. We'll talk again tomorrow.